Hey everyone, welcome back, and this is Collapse Talk with your host Gabriel Morero, and uh, hope you're having a great summer, you know, at least better than mine, but hey, you know, we're just out here making it day by day, but at least you're tuning in to some commentary, at least on, you know, the current state of affairs, politics, the economy, again, you know, I'm not the most expert commentator, political commentator, but at least I have some good things to say. So if you're here, thank you, at least for my return followers. Uh, and I do want to, you know, have some clarity on certain things because, you know, you may have checked with my uh, podcast earlier, at least in the week, where a whole bunch of pub, uh, episodes were republished. Uh, what I was doing actually was I had uh, requalified for the Spotify ads. So I was just, um, you know, I didn't put all of them, at least in my older, earlier stuff, they're a little more low quality. I didn't put ads on that because, I mean, it's not worth it but um yeah moving forward i'll be you know uh putting ads on these uh podcasts i mean hey you know i gotta have a revenue somewhere or you know i had them before and then like i took a break and then i lost the eligibility and then also it's like you know because this this original platform is used to be anchor or at least it's like anchor and then through spotify anchor was acquired uh but you know this is also on google playlists and uh other podcast platforms but you know these ads again i just trying to support myself and i want this to be a more full-time commitment so i hope you don't you know look at me as some sellout like oh look you're a communist look you have an ad on your podcast like it like i have no choice (laughs) so you know i hope that it isn't too uh this how do i say it like disconnecting this uh disjointed you know like uh you know i hope the flow is more natural you know my at least, you know, the way I would organize it is, uh, you know, at the beginning, at the middle, and at the end. Or, and I mean, like, the very end, because I have, like, Lacrimosa from Mozart playing. So it's, like, literally at the end of it. So if you want to play through on that, definitely do that. You know, that helps you out. But, yeah, you know, my ad-free stuff, you know, at least uh, we're releasing it early on uh, Patreon, where I have the YouTube link on there. So on YouTube... That will be ad-free if you don't want to listen to those interruptions. But, of course, on YouTube, once I qualify for ads, I will be <laughs> monetizing that. So, I mean, hey, man, you know, it's, it's I got to do what I got to do, right? I think I had mentioned I quit my job. Or it's like a, I got fired slash quit. But, yeah, I left that old job, which was okay. I mean, the pay was okay, but it was still paycheck to paycheck. And, you know, now I'm working at this... um bookstore like the the campus bookstore so it's a temp position like a temporary you know part-time position since you know they're going to need some folks with the the rush you know freshman rush with the book bundles but i uh i think i'm making a good impression and uh they most likely will give me a a full-time position especially since they're saying people are leaving and graduating well i'm going to graduate but i want to uh stay more long term in this town but yeah i think it's helpful because I, you know, since I'm studying history, I am um, going to need library experience, which could be helpful. So hopefully this uh, bookstore experience gives me the prerequisites to get at a library or some other like, you know, history archive place. Um, yeah, you know, again, it's like, I gotta, I want to be like truly dedicated in the history field, you know, again, like some corporate white collar position, I can't see myself working. And it just sucks, you know, because every every time you know you, you you find a good job, and this is a good job, you know, it's 
again, the pay isn't the best, but it's like I have some human interactions for once, you know, like and I don't mean like office based political interactions, like, you know, genuine human connections. And uh, it's, you know, I get to work on a lot of books, like it's so interesting reading all these titles. And I'm like, man, I want to sit down and read this, but I have to stack them. And um, yeah, you know, it's, you know, I like it, you know, it's something good, you know, I can hope to make some friends for once. Because everybody left this town. <laughs> I mean, hey, people got to move on. But yeah, you know, doing what I can. It's, um, it's a lot going on. But hey, you know, we're all going through some stuff. And, you know, it's not going to get any easier <laughs> considering the course of events right now. It's just so crazy, you know. It's just like, you know, like, oh, where do you see yourself in 10 years? I'm like, I don't even know if we have 10 years. Like, <laughs> It's just like, I mean, we most likely do, but it's just like, dude, like, it's so crazy, man. Like, even like just thinking about this next election, I'm just like, it's a fucking nightmare, like already. But, you know, that, the, the election and those political issues, um, we'll get to that when it gets here. But right now we'll just talk about uh, just some current updates. And, you know, I was talking, you know, on this show, I divide my segments between different, you know, subject matters. So domestic, international, and then uh, more natural events. But yeah, you know, I um, spoke last episode on some updates, um, and I spoke on, you know, uh, mainly on, like, one of the things that, that happened, at least in the last episode, was uh, some, some pre-court decisions made uh, concerning, um, you know, electoral laws. You know, that was, uh, it was a good decision that they made because those, uh, Republicans in like North Carolina, like they were pretty much trying to start a coup <laughs> through the uh, legislature. So, you know, at least that Supreme Court case um, was not in favor of that, you know, so at least our election rights or our voting rights are somehow maintained and preserved, whatever voting rights we have left. But um, yeah, the, you know, I, because like I'm, I'm like I'm addressing it because the way it came off, I was saying some things like, "Oh well, you know, this session hasn't been the worst." And now, of course, there's been other decisions made which aren't uh, the best. You know, it's uh, kind of a it's a win for conservatives, so it's uh, kind of set us back. So, you know, mainly there is the major ruling on affirmative action uh, that was struck down or you know, overturned. So uh, now schools no longer have. Uh, you know, like racial, I mean, they say it's like quotas, but it's more just like uh, diversity standards to allow for uh, more minorities, marginalized groups, you know, racial minorities uh, into schools. Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, it's just one thing after another with these, um, you know, these legislators and the, the judges, the Supreme Court, I mean, I have no qualms saying that this is an illegitimate court. I mean, even like Joe Biden, like when asked, he's like, this isn't normal. And, you know, again, you know, um, big aspect of this is, you know, Clarence Thomas and his uh, Clarence Thomas and his uh, how compromised he is by the, the right wing Republican factions. Because, I mean, this guy's corrupt. I mean, he's in their pocket. He's like he's best friends with all these different like these billionaires and these like hedge fund owners. And it's just like and him and Samuel Alito. It's just like. They like there's very obvious conflicts of interest happening, and yet like nobody's bringing this up. It's just crazy to think about. Even like the Democrats, like they're not even going hard enough at all against these guys, um, Alito and uh, Clarence Thomas. Because I mean, the, the, this conduct that they're you know behaving in is like 
it's almost impeachable. Like, it really is. I mean, at least for Clarence Thomas, because, like, there's some other, like, uh, financial, uh, like, securities concerns happening now. Like, apparently, like, uh, an advisor was, like, you know, paying uh, some people, like, through Venmo, like, some other, you know, cash transfers. So, like, it, this is so, like, open. This is very obvious. So, it's, um, yeah, man. Like, I, I like, they, there should be a real push against this. You don't really see it. Because I guess, you know, the Supreme Court has this so, this sacred uh, image, you know, it's uh, it's the last bastion of democracy or, you know, whatever. And, and yet, look who's in the chair. Anyway, but, you know, uh, just at least to comment on uh, these rulings um, in the Supreme Court, um, setting back these standards that allowed for uh, more diverse uh, admissions, particularly in these Ivy League schools. And, uh, yeah, this is, um, I don't know. I mean, who knows what happens next? Because it's just, uh, I, it's really setting back the clock. You know, it's just, it, it keeps going further and further. And then, like, people are like, there's nothing to worry about. And, again, you know, this is where, like, these fucking Democrats, especially with this next election, they're going to push us for Biden. And it's like, we lost more under Biden. We lost more. We lost Roe v. Wade. And we lost affirmative action. Uh, and student loan forgiveness, so it's just like, uh, hey, dude, it's just like, this was, this whole presidency was a waste of time, and you want us to spend another four years with the same guy who didn't do anything? It's like, it feels like I'm voting for a Republican, it's just like, it feels like I'm voting for a Republican, but it's like, it's more abusive, at least, you know, the Republicans are more upfront about their intentions, <laughs> it's just, you just Democrats are incompetent, they don't know how to govern, I just, I don't know what else to say, I mean, you 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 want me to vote for you, but you have no platform. And in fact, anytime you're in office, things get worse. Like the very things that you're saying that we have to protect, we lose. And it's under your like guidance. It's under your governorship. Okay. And still, like they had, um, yeah, they had a House majority, and then they lost it. You know, they still have the Senate, but it's just like, I I don't I don't know, man. It's just crazy. Like, or hopefully I read that right. Hold on. Sorry, I'm doing some typing here. <laughs> okay. So Democrats held control of the House. Let me see about the Senate. Okay. So I was right. They had the House 2020. Republicans made a net gain of 14 seats. Democrat entered 2021 with a narrow 2020, sorry, 222 to 213 House majority. Let me look at the Senate election. So the Senate in 2020, uh, the Republicans had control. They had a control. I mean, they lost the, the because, of course, it's supposed to be 50-50. Um, God, this cat is being weird. No, so, yeah, so there's 100 Senate seats. And so, yeah, because the Independent had two uh, seats. So Democrats had 48, and then Republicans had 50. Then in the 2022 general election, the Democrats and the Republicans both have 49. They both have 49, and the independents have two. So right now, of course, the Senate is tied. I'm sorry, I had to recap on that. <laughs> but yeah, so, so Biden had control of the House in 2020. The Senate lost control. But then now in this general election... 
We're still at a tie, 49 to 49 with Republicans, and then the independents having two votes, but then we lost control of the House. So, yeah, this just, yeah, I mean, they had leverage before, and now it's just like, eh. But anyway, you know, let me see again here. This fucking cat needs to chill out. Even though the that was like, because yeah, everybody's talking about the red wave and how disappointing it was. I mean, the Republicans are still up. <laughs> um, I yeah, it's uh, I don't know, dude. So anyway, I kind of lost track of thought. But anyway, so that is um Biden's legacy right there. I mean, they had they they could have worked with that House majority and then they didn't, and now they're trying to push all these things which aren't going to work. Um, and even the Senate is like just by like a thin. thin threat anyway is there's some other things to, to to comment on but the main point is that with these supreme court decisions that are being made under biden it's not really like a case anymore because it's like what do you what are they going to say now like oh we need to vote for biden to protect what <laughs> to protect what exactly roe v wade that's gone affirmative action that's gone student loans that's that's gone so like what else I, it's just unbelievable yeah man i i just i can't <laughs> in a lot of ways it's you know at least from my conscience right i didn't vote for biden i wasn't tricked into thinking that he, we, we could vote him like push him left because i mean look <laughs> i mean come on man like it's it's yeah that pushing biden left it, it obviously was never going to work and it didn't work and what makes you think it's going to work in the second term? <laughs> I mean, I'll vote for Democrats in terms of like the House, you know, Senate positions. Yeah, there's actually I'm trying to see here, especially for Texas. The, the Texas uh, state races, um, it's going to be interesting. But let me see here. 2024. Let me see here. Ted Cruz is going to run for re-election. But I saw that there was another. I'm trying to find his name. Let me see here. Because he is challenging uh, Ted Cruz for the Senate seat. And uh, he sounds very promising. Let me see here. I think it's John Love the Third. Let me see again. I think that's him. I need a picture. Hold on. <laughs> I think that's him. Oh, well. Yeah. So there's some other individuals uh, at least challenging for the Senate seat for, you know, from the Democratic Party. I mean, this is at least against Ted Cruz, which probably won't come to pass, but who knows, man? I, I just, I like it would be a complete. I mean, it wouldn't be a shock, but I just wouldn't understand how Texas, even after Ted Cruz like abandoned the state during like um, a blizzard that killed like hundreds of people, like they're still gonna vote for this guy. Like, dude, I just don't, I don't get this state, and I want to get out of here so bad. But it's like, oh, why don't you just leave? Just like pick up everything and leave. <laughs> it's just like it's not easy, bro. Like Jesus. Anyway, so I'm sorry if you hear some humming. I don't know why my fridge is going off, but um, yeah. So there's um, so much to unpack a lot uh, with uh, these court decisions made. Again, we were initially talking about affirmative action, uh, but I wanted to at least um, point out some things from NBC. So just reading from NBC, uh, the Supreme Court on Thursday struck down affirmative action programs at the University of North Carolina and Harvard in a major victory for conservative activists, ending the systemic consideration of race in the admission process. Uh, the court ruled that both programs violate the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution and are therefore un unlawful. 
Uh, the vote was six to three in the UNC case and six to two in the Harvard case, in which liberal Justice Kentaji Brown Jackson was recused. The decision was held by prominent conservatives who say the Constitution should be, quote, colorblind, with former President Donald Trump calling it, quote, a great day for America. Uh, liberals, however, condemned the ruling, saying affirmative action is a key tool for remedying historic race discrimination. Quote, it wasn't perfect, but there's no doubt that it helped offer new ladders of opportunity for those who, throughout our history, have too often been denied a chance to show how fast they can climb, said Michelle Obama, the first black first lady. President Joe Biden called the decision, quote, a severe disappointment, adding that his administration would provide guidance about how colleges could maintain diversity without violating the ruling. The court effectively overturned the 2003 ruling, Rutter v. Bollinger, in which it said race could be considered as a factor in admission process because universities had a compelling interest in maintaining diverse campuses. In doing so, the court scrapped decades of precedent, including a ruling dating to 1978 that upheld a limited consideration of race in university admissions to combat historic discrimination against black people and other minority groups. In the majority opinion, Chief Justice John Browns did not explicitly say the former presidents were overruled, but in a concurring opinion, conservative Justice Clarence Thomas, only the second black justice to be appointed to the court, said the Grutter case was, quote, for all intents and purposes, overruled, end quote. Roberts wrote that both programs, quote, lack sufficiently focused and measurable objectives warranting their use of race, unavoidably employ race in a negative manner, involve race, racial stereotyping, and lack meaningful endpoints, end quote. Roberts wrote that both programs, quote, lack sufficiently focused and measurable objectives warranting the use of race, unavoidably employ race in a negative manner, involve racial stereotyping, and lack meaningful endpoints. The ruling exposed stark divisions among the justices who sit on a court that is more diverse than it has ever been. Jackson, the first black woman to serve on the court, wrote in a dissenting opinion that, that the ruling was, quote, truly a tragedy for all of us. Liberal Justice Sonia Sotomayor, the first Hispanic justice, wrote that the court, quote, stands in the way and rolls back decades of precedent and momentous progress. Sotomayor, in a sign of her displeasure, read a lengthy summary of her dissenting opinion in the courtroom. So, yeah, they go on about uh, Clarence Thomas and uh, his, uh, you know, their, his old diatribe. I mean, Clarence Thomas is a piece of shit. So, yeah, I mean, what else can you say from this? I mean, I, you know, the whole argument like, oh, no, we need more colorblind. It's like, bro, like, I, I just don't, I don't understand it, bro. Like, uh, black, Hispanic students, like, they're already, like, low as is, like, admissions-wise for colleges. And then they're like, let's just take away the one thing that actually gave them a chance. And, and it's just like, I just don't, fuck these conservatives, bro. I, I'm so serious, man. It's just like, and like I, this thing about, again, if we're talking about the election, because you're going to be dealing with a lot of normal people that are going to be like, oh, I don't know, the Democrats are going to be too extreme for me. You know, it's like a lot of normies. That's why I call normal people normies. Um, you know, they still are just so politically disconnected and they don't understand like, just how truly like evil republicans and conservatives are and like they just think yeah i mean this is just one of those things you know it's just a different party a uh, difference of policy it's like no man this is life or death and you're voting for death <laughs> it, it, that's just that's what it is i'm not saying that the democrats are like our are, are saviors that's not what i'm saying but dude like that republicans are fucking evil and they're gonna kill us all they are like 
dude, like, yeah, I don't know, man. It's just everything I talk about and, like, the things that I'm treated, like, it's like everything that I talk about is so, like, readily available. It's like, it's all public information. Everything that I talk about is all publicly available information. That's why I link to articles. And still, it's just like, no, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, no, it's just, I, I don't know what to do, man. And I get that people don't have the time for these subject matters to research it. That's why, I don't mean just me, like people like me, you know, commentators. That's why we do our work. Um, and still, it's just, you know, it's on deaf ears. I'm not saying like, I, I don't know. I mean, if I don't have a large audience, that's on me. It, it is on, on, on me. But, you know, um, in a lot of ways, I kind of like being niche, at least for now, because I would like to expand. But it's just like, there's so many things I have to work on. Anyway, um, but yeah, it, it's um, this dilemma, this crisis that we're dealing with, with pop, you know, political turmoils and divisions, and uh, how compromised like every aspect of our government is, like ideologically, you know, it, it's just like, yeah, man, you know, it, it's so crazy to me. I mean, because like you know, we talk about Ruth Bader Ginsburg and like the consequences of her not retiring under Obama is just like, I don't know, man. It's just, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable what we've uh, set ourselves up for. And again, you know, it's like when shit goes sideways, the poor people are going to be blamed. Immigrants, Muslims, queer people, like literally every everybody else except the powerful. Everybody else. <laughs> I just, I don't get it, man. Like, it's really scary, like just how like normalized, like, people are with fascism now uh, and it's like increasingly growing you know like even like a lot of like family and friends it's just like it's just like you like you are drinking the poison like you're very much like uh getting seduced by this again because it's all down to the money yeah when it comes to the almighty dollar they'll be on the same page and like people will do horrible things to protect that <laughs> so i i don't know man it's anyway because at least we're talking about affirmative action and those consequences of that ruling. And now we're getting on to another decision, at least concerning the Supreme Court decision of these uh, federal like student loan forgiveness plans. Again, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm not like shocked by it because I mean, like, obviously this was going to be the outcome. But still, it's just like, you know, all, all these bailouts that we've made towards all these companies, poorly managed companies stock buybacks and all that like not even like, not even a blink like we'll, we'll we'll fucking do it overnight but the people regular people just trying to survive you need to toil and work like a good slave like a serf you know that's literally like we're serfs that's what we are like they own us you know that's the whole plan and then all suddenly wow we don't understand why people aren't buying homes and aren't getting married and having ch kids <laughs> like Dude, why, you know, why people are, why are there so many bankruptcies? Why aren't people paying their, like, their credit cards? Like, dude, like, this is, it's stuff like this. My goodness. Again, you know, like, the whole idea of, like, a whole credit system, like, no, we're going to deliberately keep people out of, you know, having a good life because we have a number that we've just, like, arbitrarily made in, like, the 80s. <laughs> and in the people that, like, will defend credit scores, they, like, they'll talk about Chinese social credit. Oh, a Chinese social credit score, bruh. You know, again, I don't like either of those, but it's still like it's obviously the hypocrisy. Anyway, so just talking at least uh, from CNBC on this uh, student loan uh, forgiveness decision. Uh, so, right. So their takeaway, 
Um, when the Supreme Court struck down the Biden administration's student loan forgiveness plan at the end of June, it dealt a crushing blow to the president as he runs for re-election and to the tens of millions of Americans who were promised financial relief. Unsurprisingly, the 6-3 vote was split on ideological lines, but, also with, but what else did the justices have to say? How did they reach their conclusions? Here are two takeaways. All right, so first one. Uh, conservative justices found states had standing. The biggest obstacle for those who wanted to legally challenge President Joe Biden's student loan forgiveness was showing they'd be harmed by the relief policy, which is typically a requirement to gain the right to sue. That need to prove so-called legal standing is designed to prevent people from using the judicial system to work out policy differences that are considered more appropriate for elections. And then also here, so these states that... Uh, you know, just like came out of nowhere, like, oh, no, we're going to be damaged by this. It's like, we're going to be damaged by people having less debt. It's like, do you not want people to like spend in your economies? And like, you know, like literally, like if people didn't have all this debt and it was just clean slate forgiven, then they could actually like, because this is a consumer society, like people want to consume. If you drown them in debt, they can't consume. <laughs> like at least the very basic minimum, uh, like groceries and whatever they have to do to survive. And that's it. But anyway, so here, right, the six GOP-led states, Arkansas, Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, and South Carolina, that were successful in getting Biden's plan nixed by the justices had argued that the policy would lead to a loss of profits for the companies in their states that service federal student loans. Chief Justice John Roberts, in the majority opinion for Biden v. Nebraska, wrote that Mohella, or the Missouri Higher Education Loan Authority, would lose around $44 million a year in, in fees it earns from servicing federal student loans after Biden's forgiveness. As a result, Roberts found that at least Missouri has successfully proven legal standing. He said that the courts didn't need to consider standing for the other states. Legal experts and consumer advocates were skeptical that Biden's plan would reduce Mohella's bottom line. They pointed out that the lender's revenues was actually expected to rise because of some student loan servicers recently leaving the space and it picking up extra accounts. Quote, I was surprised the court found Missouri had standing, said higher education expert Mark Kantrovitz. Uh, quote, the debts of Mohella are not the debts of the state and Mohella is able to sue on its own, so why didn't it bring up its own lawsuits? End quote. So again, so what they're saying is that the state sued on behalf of the borrower and the borrower didn't file a lawsuit. So it's literally just these states being assholes. Like, it's just, that's all it is. It's just these Republican dickheads. Again, these are all, like, like red states that they read. So Arkansas, Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, and South Carolina. Red states. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, let me see. Let me just double check. Some of these, you know, again, I wouldn't, it's, I wouldn't pass the Democrat, you know, to also defend this. Yeah, so here, Missouri, Republican governor. Uh, two Republican senators. Let's see what else. Arkansas, that's not, not even a question. Iowa, they just passed an abortion ban, so red. Let me see, Kansas. I mean, obviously Kansas, but let me just double check there. So, Kansas, Democratic governor, two Republican senators. Let's see who else. Nebraska, obviously red but let's just see again yeah so red republican governor two republican senators and then south carolina yeah so yeah so republican governor and two republican senators so yeah all these red states 
They're just being assholes, just saying, no, you got to pay your debts. Whoa, whoa, whoa. But then watch next, next, uh, you know, recession, next crash, all the bailouts for fucking Boeing and all these other uh, airlines and car manufacturers, like literally like whenever a, a big corporation is like on the edge of bankruptcy, like they get a bailout. Okay. Like they never have to manage their money. Right. But the working people, no, man, just bleeding us dry, you know? And still, it's just like, you know, when you make student loan payments, it's like, it, that's not even like going towards like equity or anything, you know, like it would make more sense to have 18 year olds and 19 year olds and shackle them with like 30 year mortgages. It makes more sense because at least those payments, they're building up equity. But it's like student loan payments. It's just you make payments and that's it. And it's not even like coming back to you in any beneficial way. Like it's the concept is just ridiculous. But again, like everything is so normalized and no, you got to pay back and you got to do this and that. But again, you know, rich people can get all sorts of bailouts and, you know, the, the PPP loan forgiveness, right? Like we can like, this is all like public information about the loan forgiveness. And it's like thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's ridiculous, man. Like unbelievable. Again, it's still, you know, they, they like, you know, this is concept. And again, like, you know, People, again, they talk to me about, oh, no, but this country still, you know, you still live better. Like, no, I don't. Like, it's just, it's like you can't claim to be a democracy and then have, like, every, like, aspect of survival behind a paywall. Like, that's not a democracy. It's just not. Like, it isn't. Again, you know, I'm the asshole because I want people to, like, have better lives. You know, I don't want them to to work and earn for it, you know, because people are working and they're still not making it so it's just like that that whole idea is bullshit again uh, anyway so continuing um and sorry so the state sued on behalf and the the borrowers didn't file a lawsuit so i mean this is just pure just greed you know anyway sorry so look heron or harine uh an assistant professor at the university of alabama said he was confused by the fact that Roberts didn't pay much attention to the issue of standing at all. The requirement has long been defended by conservative justices, especially former Justice Antonin Scalia. Quote, I don't think they actually took the standing issues all that seriously, Harine said. Quote, and I have no idea if that will be a president or if it's just a one-off so they could get to the merits because they didn't like this case. Uh, and then here, so some other, uh, at least the dissent, so uh, liberal justice Elena Kagan strongly disagreed that Missouri had standing, pointing out that the lender was financially independent from Missouri, quote, as corporations typically are, quote, the revenue loss allegedly grounding this case is Mohella's alone. Kagan wrote in her dissent, the state's treasury will not be out one penny because of the secretary's plan, end quote, quote, we do not allow plaintiffs to bring suit just because they oppose a policy, Kagan said. Okay, and here, uh, so reading at least their second takeaway from CNBC, uh, here, so the HEROES Act doesn't allow for broad debt cancellation. So when the president rolled out his plans in August 2022 to forgive as much as 20000 in education debt for tens of millions of Americans, he pointed to the HEROES Act of 2003 as his legal justification. The law was passed in the aftermath of the 9-11 terrorist attacks, and grants the president broad powers to revise student loan programs during national emergencies. The COVID pandemic was such an emergency, the administration said. The U.S. Department of Education warned that the crisis had left millions of borrowers 
in a worse off financial situation and that there could be a historic rise in delinquencies and defaults without its loan cancellation. But Roberts took the side of the states, saying that the HEROES Act didn't permit the kind of sweeping student loan forgiveness uh, the president was trying to deliver. Quote, Can the secretary use his powers to abolish 40, $430 billion in student loans, completely canceling loan balances for 20 million borrowers? As the pandemic winds down to its end, Roberts wrote, we can't believe that the answer would be yes. Kagan once again disagreed. Quote, the statute, read as written, gives the secretary broad authority to relieve a national emergency's effect on borrowers' abilities to repay their student loans, she said. In the end, it was the Supreme Court that exceeded its authority, Kagan said. Quote, the majority overrides the combined judgment of legislative and executive branches with the consequences of eliminating, eliminating loan forgiveness for 43 million Americans, she wrote. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a split decision. I mean, it's very obvious that the Supreme Court is divided, or at least it sways in the, you know, conservative uh, side. I mean, this is going to be, I mean, this century alone uh, with these Supreme Court decisions is going to fucking suck, okay? And the clock is being, you know, turned back. And watch, they're going to do something else. They're going to, again, these conservatives, they're getting, they're getting ballsy. They're, they're, you know, really uh, trying to push it. And they're going to attack something like, say, Brown versus Board of Education. Like, I wouldn't put it past them to go after that. Because, I mean, like, oh, what states? The states don't have the rights to, you know, uh, mandate, you know, or, you know. And, and they're not going to say so explicitly as segregation. They're just going to be like, well, you know, you see, because... Uh, I don't even know how they're going to frame it, but it's just like, dude, like they're, they're going to try some really crazy shit. I mean, they're, I mean, we're, we're talking about, uh, Roe v. Wade and there's another decision like, uh, Obergefell, which, uh, uh, refers to, uh, anti-sodomy laws, right? Uh, homosexual rights, dude, like it's, uh, dude, I mean, it's so scary being a minority and it's just like. Again, you know, when I talk to some folks and they don't understand why I'm so worried. And again, like I have it, I'm studying history. I'm going to get a history degree. And it's like, I'm actually qualified to comment on what's happening. And you're still not listening. <laughs> you just want to refer to some other authority figure who's literally saying the same thing. It's just like, I don't know what else to do. You know, it's, it's disturbing. It's really disturbing this complacency and like how, you know, people are just treat this threat. And, and and then you know you get you get ostracized because again you know god forbid i might teach people about this subject matter and then they have to wake up to this reality it's like you know you don't like me talking about it but it's still going to happen and it's still going to uh, affect you it's going to affect you in a very real way again like the, you know when we talk about these subjects of like climate change and extinction like the idea for some people of like animals going extinct it that doesn't compute for them because it's like Okay, well, at least we'll have the economy. It's like, how fucking delusional are you? Like, really? <laughs> anyway, you know, again, because I'll, I'll talk a little further about like certain climate events happening. At least, you know, because we're still on the domestic subject matters. I wanted to talk at least about our infrastructure issues, particularly as um, me being a Texan. Uh, we have a very compromised uh, grid system here. At least in my local area, we're not on the state grid, so that is beneficial for me. But still, you know, even if like 
there was a blackout, statewide blackout, it would have an effect, at least in my area. Like, you know, I wouldn't be completely sheltered from it. But anyway, I mean, it's just like, uh, it's scary to think about just how compromised the state is. And like, it's just like, and still people don't understand why I want to leave. <laughs> like, they don't, they don't get it. It's just like, oh, why do you want to leave? Like, they get offended. It's just like, bro, like, this is like the most obvious, like, dumpster fire of a state. And you don't want to pay attention. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you know, the only reason why, like, because typically red states in terms of, like, you know, federal assistance, which is so funny, they're all about pulling your bootstraps. But red states receive the most federal assistance. Like, the only reason why Texas, like, has a surplus and gives to the federal uh, you know, economy uh, is because of oil, oil and gas. And that even that's not going to last for long. Anyway. There's, there's so many things to talk about Texas, and uh, you know again I'm not a fan, so I'm gonna be biased, but yeah I just want to talk at least about this uh, you know record-breaking uh, heat wave that's happening, and I mean I'll talk about the heat and you know other climbing events later, uh, but in for Texas that heat is causing uh, energy demand, you know record-breaking energy demand. So uh, we uh, I'll be highlighting on this at least from CBS. So reading here, ERCOT has issued. Another weather watch for July 16th to 18th, which is, you know, today I'm recording on the 18th, warning that due to forecasted higher temperatures, there will be a higher electrical demand and op operating reserves could be lower. Uh, ERCOT says grid conditions are expected to be normal during those days, but they will be monitoring the conditions closely. A new unofficial peak demand record has been set uh, for the month. ERCOT's supply and demand dashboard shows another record set for next week. So at least, you know, going on this uh, record, um, you know, this page. And I'm recording at around four. So the peak heat, like we've either at least still in it or, you know, getting past it. So here, just reading on this. So yeah, so July 18th at 4.10 p.m. Or sorry, 4.16. This update was at 4.10. But uh, here it says... Yeah, committed capacity, so 96,127 megawatts, and then current demand, 82,367 megawatts. So that's a difference of you know, 14,000, which is, you know, at least a pretty okay margin. But, you know, not too long ago, I saw, I, it doesn't even give me the option to go back, but yeah, there was uh, not too long ago, I saw it was like a difference, like a margin of like 7,000 megawatts. Like it was getting very close. It's just like, oh, the anxiety. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> I, yeah, it's, um, it's crazy to think about how like compromised this is and how on edge. And again, you know, this isn't even my grid. <laughs> this isn't, yeah, this isn't my grid. This is, you know, because um, I'm Entergy, so I'm not ERCOT, I'm Entergy. But still, it's just crazy to think about because these are, you know, there's millions of people, okay, especially Houston. Houston is right down the road and that is muggy. It's fucking swampy, man. Like, honestly, like the wet bulb, like those are like the uh, effects that are happening already down there. <laughs> it's like, that's why I don't want to live there like long term. I don't want to live there because it's going to like literally like become uninhabitable. Like, dude, <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's like, honestly, though, like, because, you know, I have been talking in earlier episodes about, like, you know, getting a home. And it's just like, do I really want to take a 30-year mortgage out in Texas? Like, no. <laughs> and again, you know, it's like, 
it's kind of a good thing that like I don't have a date in life because then I have nothing tying me down. I like no kids. Like I'm a free agent, and you know my mom doesn't like me talking about moving out of state, but it's just like I just don't want to stay here. Like I'm sorry. Like I'm gonna talk about some other uh, article here, and you know CNBC did a you know survey on the ten worst states. So okay, at least you know just talking about this grid system because I want to make up some uh, other points, but. So the grid system, again, is super compromised. And again, you know, we have, at least for today, you know, a pretty sizable margin. You know, it's not like, you know, razor thin margin, but still, you know, it's just like, you see this demand and like the capacity that ERCOT has. And again, this is like, ERCOT is independent. It's not like, there's some state regulations, but it's like, it's paper thin. It's like literally like, you know, the, the winterized grid system before, like, the blizzard that killed, like, hundreds of people that, you know, Ted Cruz flood. Like, it was literally patched together by, like, gum and bandages. Like, it's just, like, and they were given all kinds of warnings. Again, anytime these things happen, there's all kinds of warnings saying you're not ready for this. And then look what happens. <laughs> yeah, I just, dude, I just don't, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't understand it, man. It's just so scary, dude, everything that's happening. And again, you know, there's some other aspects like this. Um, we'll talk about the operating reserves. Uh, so the operating reserve of 7,706 megawatts. Again, you know, I'm not like an electrical engineer. So like, you know, I'm not like an expert at all these. But yeah, it's just uh, so much. There's so much to go into. And again, like this is like the deregulated energy system. You know, oh, yeah, we got a small government. Like literally like the it doesn't connect to the federal main line. So it's just like. Like, the stupidest decision ever. And again, like, people have such short memories. Like, people almost froze to death, okay? People were, like, huddled around, like, gas burners. And, like, uh, like you know, I saw this one video of, like, people chopping up a fucking baby crib for the wood so they can burn it. Like, dude, like, and still, they're going to vote for Ted Cruz again. They're going to vote for the same bullshit. I mean, I mean, part of it's also because, like, we have gerrymandered districts, so it doesn't, it's not appropriate representation but still you know it's just i i don't i don't get it dude it's just crazy and then of course you know i talk to my parents and i'm like hey man like this place sucks they're like oh no well we have all these nice commodities and we're so like it's just like that's all they think about they only think about oh well there's a mcdonald's around the corner so that you know obviously this is better than cuba like <laughs> i don't know anyway uh it's yeah so that's the ERCOT grid and uh, the energy demands happening there. And of course, you know, this is going to be an issue later down the line. Like again, each summer gets worse in terms of heat. And then also um, be talking about like El Nino uh, not later in the episode, how that's going to affect, uh, especially with the winter. You know, they're predicting that that's going to cause a more active winter uh, system, you know, storm system, which could not, which could like be pretty dangerous. Uh, for texas here and then you know we're in the middle of the hurricane season and it hasn't been too active i mean the oceans are hot so like whenever there is a storm it's going to be a big one but yeah i i would say that the storms because what i've at least my observations have been is that like june july when the hurricane season starts it's very slow in terms of activity but during that time the oceans are heating and then in like august september and into november october or August, September, October, November. <laughs> um, that's when it starts 
picking up in terms of the, the hurricane. So, yeah, man, like we still got a long way ahead. And, you know, I might record today and there will not be a forecast and then something pops up. And then like a week later, like Florida will get decimated like last time, you know. Yeah, man, it's just so much, you know. So, you know, my, you know, my concerns is that we get hit by a hurricane, especially in like the Houston Gulf Coast area. Knocks out the power grid. Uh, people don't have clean water. And then they start overheating because it's fucking hot, you know, especially after a hurricane, you know, all that water creates humidity. And like, or what happens in like Harvey where it stalls out and drops like gallons upon gallons, trillions of gallons, you know, that is, will be a bad situation. You know, it's just like, so how, like how quickly, you know, everything falls apart and still people aren't, it's not clicking for people that we're in a crisis, but you know, that's. That's just the way things are now. So, anyway, um, so talking on CNBC because I was mentioning about uh, the survey that they had recently made about uh, the worst states to live in, you know, to live and work in, and uh, you know, they're factoring a lot of things. So at least you know, just reading here, they're like preliminary uh, reports. So from CNBC, with nearly twice as many job openings nationwide as there are workers available to fill them. Companies are setting up shop where the workers are. Each year, as part of our overall assessment of state business climate, CNBC's America's Top States for Business study considers how welcoming each state is to workers and their families. Life, health, and inclusion is one of the study's 10 categories for competitiveness. And this year, with the nationwide worker shortage so severe, the category is taking an increased importance in our methodology. We consider multiple qualities of life factors, including crime rates, environmental quality, and healthcare. We also look at the quality and availability of childcare, which is one of the most important factors in getting parents back into the workforce. Casting the widest possible net for workers means not turning anyone away, so we consider inclusiveness in state laws by measuring protections against discrimination as well as voting rights. And with surveys showing a substantial percentage of women considering abortion restrictions or making a choice, of where to live in the wake of the Supreme Court overturning a Roe v. Wade, reproductive rights are part of this year's equation as well. As North Carolina uh, Governor Roy Cooper, a Democrat, told CNBC after being named number one state for 2023, he's worried about the gains that southern states have made to become economic powerhouses in recent decades. Quote, you still see people going to Florida and Texas, but you begin to see deterioration over time. Site selectors will tell you these issues matter when it comes time for businesses to make tough decisions some states are putting out the welcome mat to attract the biggest happiest and most diverse workforce uh, these are not these states so these are they have a different article and i'll touch up on that on the uh, best states to live and work in so uh, these are not those states so this article is about the worst states <laughs> uh, by the numbers these are america's worst states to live and work in for 2023 so I'm not going to go through the whole thing because it's pretty obvious what those options are. So, you know, at number 10 is Florida. Uh, nine is Arkansas. Eight is Tennessee. Seven is Indiana. Six is Missouri. There's a tie for the number four position. So a tie with Alabama and South Carolina, number four. Number three, Louisiana. Number two, Oklahoma. So again, all those states I read, they're all red states. <laughs> they're all southern red states. And some are Midwestern, but... Yeah, that's all they have in common. And for number one spot, you guessed it, ba -ba -da -ba, it's Texas. Texas is rated number one 
worst state to live and work in. How, again, you know, I'm not just a hater. Like, this is, you know, a study now that they've done, okay? Again, you know, you might say, oh, it's CNBC, bro. But, I mean, like, <laughs> it's bad here. It's fucking, it sucks. This place sucks, man. Oh, my God. Anyway, uh, so just reading at least what their findings are for Texas being the worst state to live in. Uh, so, here... Uh, how could 200,000 college-educated workers moving to Texas each year possibly be wrong? It depends on how you look at it. With the nation's highest percentage of people without health insurance and the second lowest number of primary care physicians for, per capita, all those new Texans are arriving to find a dismal health care system. Texas has the nation's 13th highest uh, violent crime rate, and it ranks 37th for licensed child care facilities per capita. The Lone Star State keeps hacking away at inclusiveness, with laws targeting the LGBTQ population, voting rights, and the nation's strictest abortion ban. Yes, there are enormous economic opportunities in Texas, and it is attracting people from far and wide. This state also has some Texas-sized issues when it comes to life, health, and inclusion. It is one of the reasons that the state fell out of the overall top five for the first time in the 16-year history of CNBC's rank rankings. So, yeah, there are points here. So 2023 life health and inclusion score is a 53 out of 350 points. I mean, who knows how else, how they're rating this, but yeah, they say the weaknesses are reproductive rights, health, voting rights, workers protections, and inclusiveness. So yeah, this state like sucks. Like it's not it's not even good for business. Okay, it's like, and it's so crazy to me that they're talking about like a worker shortage. It's like, do you know how many jobs I've applied to? Um, and they, every every job is like, we're impressed with your expertise. However, we're moving on to other candidates. Like every every job. That's why I had to pick, take this um, part-time bookstore position because like they're the only ones that called me back. Like I'm, and I'm trying to go for like the higher end positions. I have impressive resume and, and still, you know, oh, but there's a worker shortage. Or, you know, I'll get the interview and they're like, oh, well, we have your qualities and experience. Or, you know, it's like. They're like, they have to do a training and they're like, oh, well, we're not training right now. It's like, I can't get the experience if I'm not trained and this other job isn't going to train me. So like, I don't know, man. It's like they're shooting themselves in the foot and like they're deliberately like barring people from entry, but then they want to complain how there's a shortage. It's like, you're, you're creating it. You're creating the shortage <laughs> anyway. And then also like, you know, I wonder what happened in the last couple of years that would cause a workers decrease like or, or just like in general a population decline like what i wonder what happened in like the last two or three years that would have killed off like millions of people <laughs> it's a complete mystery <laughs> my god yeah man this covid pandemic has fucked has fucked everything up and then like people want to like again like i get it's like this covid pandemic had very real implications and like you know, it set people off for the worst, especially working class, lower, you know, lower class people. And it's still just like, oh, why aren't you here? Why aren't you doing this? It's like COVID happened. <laughs> like, dude. Uh, anyway, so that's the worst states. I at least want to touch up just real quick on the 10 best states that they marked. And again, you know, their metrics are life, health and inclusion. So, you know, they say here, you know, number 10, Connecticut. Uh, tie for number eight, Massachusetts and Colorado. So number eight tie. Uh, Washington, number seven. Oregon, number six. Number five, Hawaii. Which, eh, I mean, Hawaii is a colony. So it's like, you know, this is for white people. You know, white 
college-educated, upper-middle-class people because the people living in Hawaii, the natives are suffering. <laughs> They're under military occupation. So that decision's a bit iffy, but, you know, at least this is catered to white audiences. So, hey, you know, colonize them if you want. Um, number four, Minnesota. Number three, New Jersey, which is surprising. <laughs> you don't see New Jersey up there with the best states to live in. <laughs> number two, Maine. And number one, Vermont. You know, the home state of Bernie Sanders. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they say number one, Vermont, their findings here. Uh, by the numbers, living in the Green Mountain State is stress-free, easy, and healthy. Vermont offers America's best, best air quality with zero high ozone days per year and the nation's most accessible child care. Uh, Vermonters enjoy broad protections against discrimination as one of the nation's easiest states to vote in. Life in Vermont is good. And actually, that's like a place I've considered going to, like, like relocating, like Vermont. You know, that doesn't seem like the worst place to live in. And they're saying, hey, you know, this is not the worst place to live in, you know. So get some like, you know, Midwestern or Midwestern, uh, you know, some uh, log cabin, you know, around all those maple trees and all the orange leaves and such, you know, that would be nice. But hey, you know. That's at least their findings on the best and worst states to live in. So, and again, you know, they, they included a big factor on that was um, inclusiveness, um, you know, LGBTQ inclusiveness uh, and, you know, diversity uh, standards. And again, you know, like Texas, you know, as they rated it the worst, like uh, Greg Abbott recently, like he disbanded the diversity inclusion departments and in, like all the public universities, you know, and, and um and again, like he did some other bullshit, like the water mandatory breaks in the heat, like that's taken away. So like you don't have a protected water break. And then like people were dying, like literally like the week that was happening, like dozens of people died because like they didn't have their mandated water break. It's unbelievable, unbelievable. And then also there's some other reports that are coming out, at least um, from Texas, because Texas is um, a border state. And so, of course... These Republican racists, they want to, you know, get hard. We got to close the border, bro. We got to close it. So, like, now, like, he's sending the National Guard. It's like some operation. Like, he's sending the National Guard. You know, he's putting down, like, these razor wire, like, border protections, like, right on the banks of the, the Rio Grande. And then also there's, like, these buoys that they put in to, like, obstruct people from walking through. Like, it's not even, like, a deep river. So, it's, like, I mean, there might be some, like, deep parts of it but the other portions like they just walk right through it. it's like a ford um and they're, they're just putting these like buoys like dude you know how long the fucking border is like you're just gonna put thousands of miles of razor wire and fucking buoys and all these other nets and shit on the fucking border <laughs> it's so fucking stupid and all the money that's gonna be wasted and then some other things so like they have all these like guards and restraints and like barriers to prevent uh you know poor like single mothers and like children from crossing um but then like uh uh there's this other thing at least you know these leaks from um you know the state troopers and like other like national guard like texas department of public safety uh like leaks that are happening and they're getting like memos telling them uh to th throw people back like push people back into the water children included you know don't provide water for them or any kind of like medical assistance, any kind of food, because these people are like walking in a desert, you know, 
And like, you know, there's plenty of people who live on the border who aren't like racist dickheads who like leave out water jugs for uh, these uh, migrants. And then they get fined or like they get uh, arrested for that. It's just like we have like literally like said like there's no like we can't like humaneness has been like made illegal. You know, like any kind of humanity towards these people, it's like illegal. Like that's that's like one of the core tenets of fascism, like empathy has been criminalized. I, I mean, it's unbelievable. And again, you know, I, I like I don't again, it's like sometimes again, and I see this from like people of color. Uh, they they try to make like anti-immigrant like policy like or you know points or commentary and it's like bro like you want to sit here and tell me you know the grandson of an immigrant the son of an immigrant why i should be against other people this is supposed to be a land of opportunity right but then people want to come here to work you know like these jobs that like you weren't like you are willing like these migrants are willingly taking like the hardest jobs imaginable all the shitty you know labor agricultural jobs construction jobs like they are doing it happily they'll do it they they love doing it or i shouldn't say they love it but it's like like they just love the opportunity to live in america at least you know some semblance of stability which is like fucked up like because america isn't like good at all but it just tells you about their situation where like they're coming from places like san salvador honduras or where there's like some very like hardcore like barrios and slums you know and dude like people have to escape that man and like they take like the most dangerous um the most dangerous journey like imaginable just unbelievably dangerous and it's just like and they get to the border and then like they get shunned they're treated like criminals or you know people talk about like oh my god it's just like I don't know, man. I, I, you know, it's just the inhumanity, you know, of some Republicans and uh, conservatives. Like, it's it's unbelievable. Okay, like they're gonna say, "Oh, we're gonna run out of space in this country. There's so much space to expand." Okay, and even then, it's just like that's a bullshit Malthusian like, you know, overpopulation mythos. Like, it, it's not true. It's not real. Okay, we ultimately have more to gain and benefit by allowing them to come and work. Okay, that helps us. But again, you know, they're they're concerned about replacement theory. Oh, we got to secure a future for our white children. Okay. I mean, like, it's a direct one-to-one. It's a direct one-to-one, you know. Again, like, white people of all people have no right to even comment on, like, invasion and colonization. Oh, we're going to be replaced. Like, they like they have no right to comment on that. But again, that's just uh, the racism of this country, especially Texas, this state. It's so funny. Like the Like, just, like, doing some basic research in this state, it's like, this used to be Mexico or Spain, then Mexico. Um, and like the only reason they allowed white people to come in here is because they needed help with the Comanches, but they didn't enforce uh, their sla- the slave ban. <laughs> and that's the reason why the, the white people rebelled and took it. They stole Texas because they wanted to keep their slaves. And then of course, you know, you hear some detractors say like, well, you see, there were Tejanos who also fought with um, the white Texans. Yeah. And then they got like betrayed. You know, you just you just read the story of Juan Seguin. You know, he was um living out of uh, San Antonio, like like how they fucked him over, white the white Anglo settlers, like dude, come on, it's unbelievable. But again, you know, it's you 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 like you you try to have that discussion and you try to rationalize with them, but there's no rationality. They they won, they have the power and control, and that's all that matters. So you know, any sort of like fairness or like logic or rationality. Trying to like appeal to that, 
is not going to work. That they don't, they're only concerned with the power. So anyway, getting kind of off track. But that was my little rant about Texas because Texas sucks. And I actually had uh, an article pointing that out. And this is not just like some emotional appeal like, oh, well, I, I just don't like it here. Like, no, this is like directly affecting the business. And I feel like a lot of people who moved to this place when like, like definitely after 2008, because I was part of that wave in 2008, like it's going to become very apparent that this place is unsustainable. And again, you know, my mom, she doesn't really have the serious thought of leaving this place, but it's just like, we can't stay here. You know, it's like, yeah, because like she wants to live in these like suburbs, but it's like we're getting priced out because like these housing prices are unbelievable. Like, dude, like she doesn't want to live out here in the, you know, in the country where it's a little more sustainable and cheaper because it's all, it's all boring out here, but it's like, you're not going to have a choice because at least, you know, at least we'll have some land. Like, you know, we can actually buy like a couple acres for a pretty good price, uh, like a, a three bedroom, four bedroom apartment, but, or house, but, um, you know, again, but she doesn't want to do that. And I don't want to get too personal, but still, you know, it's just like, Again, people are going to get to a point where they have no choice. Like, you're you're going to have to make a move. You're going to have to leave this place because it's it's just uninhabitable. You can't stay here. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so talking now about some other states, red states. Um, here, a recent uh, change or you know legislation in Iowa where the governor signed a six-week abortion ban. So, yeah, these abortion bans they're still coming state by state. And, you know, I was the next state to do that. Of course, you know, this is the pro-life. Oh, we're, we're saving the sanctity of life. And this is a you know, pre, pre-born rights, you know, or something like that. They try to frame it as like a human rights issue, which is fucking stupid. But anyway, Iowa Republican Governor Kim Reynolds signed a bill into law Friday that bans most abortions in the state as early as six weeks into pregnancy. Quote, this week in a rare and historic special session, the Iowa legislator voted for a second time to reject the inhumanity of abortion and pass the fetal heartbeat law. She said in remarks ahead of signing the bill at the Family Leadership Summit, the law, which is effective immediately, comes after Reynolds ordered a special legislative session last week with the sole purpose of restricting the procedure in the state that is already facing a legal challenge after a group of abortion providers in the state filed a suit to try and stop the law. The bill which passed the state's Republican-controlled legislator earlier this week, prohibits physicians from providing most abortions after early cardiac activity uh, can be detected in a fetus or embryo, commonly as early as six weeks into pregnancy, before many women know they are pregnant. It includes exceptions for miscarriages, when the life of the pregnant woman is threatened, and fetal, abnorm- and fetal abnormalities that will result in the infant's death. It also includes exceptions for pregnancies resulting from rapes, reported within 45 days, and incest reported within 140 days. While the bill language makes it clear it is, quote, not to be construed to impose civil or criminal liability on a woman upon whom an abortion is performed in violation of the division, end quote, the guidelines on how physicians would be punished for violating the law are left to Iowa's Board of Medicine to decide, leaving the potential for some vagueness in how the law ought to be enforced in the interim. Iowa joins a growing list of Republican-led states that have championed sweeping abortion restrictions in the wake of last year's Supreme Court ruling overturning Roe v. Wade. Reynolds' push for abortion restrictions in the state comes weeks after Iowa's Supreme Court declined to lift a block 
on the state's 2018 six-week abortion ban, deadlocking in a 3-3 vote, quote, the Iowa Supreme Court questioned whether the legislator would pass the same law they did in 2018, and today they have a clear answer, end quote. Reynolds said Tuesday in a statement following the bill's passage, uh, quote, the voices of Iowans and their democratically elected representatives cannot be ignored any longer, and justice for the unborn should be should not be delayed. So, yeah, justice for the unborn. It's like they're trying to do a social justice thing for uh, preventing abortions. Abortion rights supporters have been speaking out against the abortion ban in the state. National Committee Chair Jamie Horse Harrison uh, called the ban the, quote, latest show of abortion extremism by MAGA Republicans, end quote. Quote, Governor Kim Reynolds just signed a cruel abortion ban into law among a crowd of extremists who cheered as Iowan women's abortion rights were stripped away, end quote, Harrison said in a statement Friday. Meanwhile, anti-abortion groups, including National Right to Life and Iowa Right to Life, praised Reynolds and the law's supporters and the state legislator for the abortion ban. Quote, we will continue to advocate for life and will not stop fighting until abortion becomes unthinkable, uh, Christy Judkins, executive director of Iowa Right to Life, said in a statement, quote, we want to see lives saved and women no longer placed in harm's way because of abortion. It's so ironic because, like, women's lives are more in danger by taking away abortion. That, again, you know, it's like, it, it sucks to be a woman. Yeah, I mean, not because being a woman is bad, but because of shit like this where they're deliberately, like, stripping away their rights. And it's just, like, it's just unimaginable, man. And it's like, you know, white women are among, like, the biggest, like, supporters, like, white conservative women. Like, yeah, and also with, like, the affirmative action, like, uh, overturned, like, white women benefit greatly from that. And yet they're, like, some of the biggest supporters, you know, uh, you know, conservative white women. It's, it's unbelievable. Again, you know, like, you look at this, um, you know, like this picture I'm seeing here from the article, you know, we have a Kim Reynolds, white woman, and she's surrounded by other, you know, white women, like, just unbelievable. But of course, you know, like... <laughs> Anytime one of their kids has a pregnancy, like they do something, you know, an unplanned, you know, out of wedlock pregnancy, it's like, you know, shushed, you know, oh, we'll, we'll just take them real quick to Mexico or something, you know, like they, they do shit like that. <laughs> Unbelievable. Like, it's like, it's, you know, I don't get it, man. Again, you know, like we were talking about with the Democrats, you know, they try to like put, hold these like little, you know, the, you know, the carrot and stick, like, oh, vote for Biden, vote for Biden. And it's like, what? What, what, what's it, what, what now? Like, what do you got for me? <laughs> we got to vote Democrat because why? Because <laughs> we already lost. We lost so much under these four years. We didn't gain anything. And uh, you want me to vote for more of the same of losing? Like, this is losing. This is what losing looks like. Democrats only have themselves to blame. So when I vote third party for Dr. Cornell West, I don't want to hear from anybody. I, I really don't. And I'm going to be very public about my support for him because, like, <laughs> like, come on, man. Like, if it's a democracy, my vote should be my vote, okay? And so these Democrats have been holding us hostage, and I'm not having it anymore. Uh, we tried to go within the party, and they screwed over uh, Bernie Sanders. I, and it's just like, I mean, what, what else? What options are they giving us? Because they very obviously don't want to work with us. They don't even want to meet us halfway. But I'm reminded now by about this uh, video where, like, these kids, you know, they had, like, a little climate uh, activist uh, group. You know, just, like, a cute little, like, 
arts and crafts thing where they're concerned. Like they're, you know, these are the kids. These are literally the future. <laughs> and, oh my God, this kid, these kids, and they're very smart kids. They're very well-spoken kids. And they went to Diane Feinstein and they, uh, Feinstein, excuse me. Um, and they were talking with her. They're like, oh, but we're, you know, this and that science. And then like this lady, this fucking mummy because she's so old and she's so decrepit and i don't want to say and i don't want this to be construed as me being like age phobic i don't even know what what the term is it's so stupid but no like elder abuse is like a big concern of mine so um this is not me to denigrate the elderly because i i i love old people i hope that i can reach to like 80 years old you know i just you know don't want it to be a fucking apocalypse like (laughs) um yeah so like this like she's 90 years old so like this like this like mummy this fucking zombie she's talking to these kids and she's like listen listen you little shit like she was very close to saying that (laughs) she's like listen i've been doing this for a much longer time than you and it's just talking down to them and i'm like this is i hope these kids walk away from that and i hope that this sparks that revolution because like in a lot of ways, because people talk about all oh, the extremism with the young, you know, the, the the youth, they're becoming extreme. I'm like, yes. I'm like, please be extreme because like this is unbelievable. Like we have done it peacefully. We have done it. Like they're telling us, hey, here's the avenue that you should do it. And we're doing that. And we're still, they're still not working with us. So it's like, there's going to be a breaking point. I, I like, again, dude. Like, we're so close to, like, a depression and, like, all these millions of people, like, losing their homes. And it's, like, this is, like, this is a crisis. And, again, this is where Marx comes into play. This is a crisis of its own of its own creation. You know, it's, like, it's, you know, okay, capitalism deliberately creates these conditions of crisis. And it's just, it's unthinkable. But, again, it's not the concern that, oh, we should look after the people. It's, you know the billionaires you know elon musk jeff bezos like the oh we our bottom line our bottom line is more important than millions of people survival like billions at this point because a lot of these people are involved with oil and gas and it's like you know uh you know we had so much time like again like because they're talking about how like oh we can't make those changes because it's going to shock the economy but it's like well you had time in the 70s and the 80s and you had more than 50 years of time to make a transition so that way the economy would be stabilized. But now, because everybody waited, because you know the, the, the politicians are bought up by the oil and gas giants, now that we waited so long, and now that it's becoming an exponential, like that's the thing about climate change, it's exponential. So it's gonna, it's just like, yeah, now we have to do it overnight. And yeah, now it's going to be a shock on the economy because you waited so long like anyway i'm getting ahead of myself but it's just like so many things that were like so obvious again all these things are so obvious and it's just not coming to pass but then when a crisis hits we we could have never seen this coming Ugh. anyway i was talking about Cornel west so for me Cornel west he's my pick for 2024 and i'm not even saying that he has a I, like I, he probably won't win, but I, I'm just I, I'm through with the Democrats. I'm done with them, I, at least in the presidential end, because like 
I'll vote for the House and the Senate because I mean there's no other options. But like I'm, yeah, I'm, you know, presidency for Biden. I just can't do it. Can't do it. And of course, like if he dies midway, like it's going to be Kamala Harris. But still, you know, it's like I again, these people have no platform. They have no platform. You want me to vote for people who have no platform that want the same old, same old, have no grit in their teeth to like actually get in the mud. Okay. I mean, again, these, these Democrats, they keep trying to like, they, they treat the Republicans like colleagues, like literally, they'll be like, oh no, we're colleagues. It's like, no man, that's a fucking tiger. Like that's a fucking wolf, dude. Like you can't be friendly with them. These are evil people. We, we, like there's, we have no business coming together with them. Because they they want to take everything. I don't like saying these things about like other people, other human beings. But like you know, you try to you, you give them enough chances, and they keep showing you who they truly are and how evil they are. No, they no interest for making the world a better place. So you know, it's just it's whatever. You know, there's a reason why there's like you know bullying epidemic, right? Like I always talk about school bullies. Like it's because we have a culture of violence and abuse. Like, this permeates into every aspect. Even, like, you know, these homes, right? Like, we're, we're a culture in a society that likes power and control. So, like, that's why you see a lot of, like, abusive households, abusive fathers. Because um, they want the abusive husbands and fathers. Like, they just want the power and control. Because that's what this society, that's what we've uh, created as a virtue. Wealth, control, power. And so, yeah, anyway. So, I want to expand on Colonel West and um, his uh, you know, prospects for the 2024 election. And of course, you're not going to see that much coverage on him. The only coverage that you're going to see is that, oh, he could compromise the Democratic vote. It's like, yeah, because you don't have a platform. Okay, at least Colonel West, when he gets on stage and you listen to him, you're like, he's just spitting facts and fire. Like, he's just like, I'm like, I'm already sold on it because I mean, like, it's integrity that's what i'm looking for and i and i see integrity in Cornell west now of course he started out with the people's party which is a bit iffy you know and you know again people have different opinions on that and this article that i'm reading is still like referencing him as the, the people's party uh, nominee but now they're moving on to he moved on to the the green party so that's um that's more plausible because the green party has a much wider appeal they're a true like political system, like political uh, faction. So, yeah, that's um, that's my horse. I'm gonna go with him. Even and again, I don't care if he loses, because I mean it's all going to shit anyway. But this is like a vote of conscience, really is. So, reading from Politico. So, uh, why some Dems fear Coronel West uh, presents a unique challenge for Biden. Uh, here, reading from from Politico. When the prominent left-wing intellectual Cornel West launched a third-party run for president this week, now, not every Democrat on the Hill scoffed at his campaign. In fact, one sitting lawmaker has something positive to say about it. Quote, The U.S. has a long history of issue candidates who run in order to bring attention to important principles and issues. I welcome Cornel West entering the race to make this country more just for all. Unquote. Representative Ro Khanna from California uh, told Political. Uh, quote, I believe he will bring more people into the process and push for pro for progressive policies, end quote. Khanna, the uh, former campaign co-chair of Sen Senator Bernie Sanders, uh, who's independent in Vermont, 2020 campaign, 
uh, wasn't endorsing West, he went on to stress that he believed the West bid could, quote, ultimately help President Joe Biden, whom Kana is supporting. He added that it is his job to help persuade liberal voters to back Biden. But the instinctive openness Kana showed toward West underscored a relatively unique headache uh, the latter's candidacy poses. Uh, unlike the other fringe candidates mounting presidential bids, such as Robert uh, F. Kennedy Jr. and Marion Williamson, West is not running as a Democrat. He's on the People's Party ticket, which is now the Green Party, uh, which means he could be on the general election ballot in a small number of states. And while that may limit the votes he can take from Biden, there are concerns among Democrats that he could be a spoiler in November of 2024. Uh, the former Harvard professor and progressive pundit still enjoys strong relations within the large universe of Sanders supporters, having served as a major surrogate for the Vermont independents' two own presidential runs. Sanders aides and allies adore him. The Sanders Institute, a progressive think tank founded by Sanders' wife and son, uh, retweeted West's presidential campaign announcement, quoting a line from West's kickoff video and highlighting that West is a fellow at the group. The Institute later deleted the tweet, saying it, it was a mistake made by an aide when asked about it by Politico, Quote, the Sanders Institute regularly posts news on fellows and a staffer has posted that, uh, said Shana Shfram, the group's spokesman, spokesperson. Uh, quote, it was taken down right away because the Institute is a nonprofit and doesn't take position on candidates, end quote. Uh, but others in that orbit haven't shied away from their support for West. Uh, Roseanne DeMauro, a longtime Sanders allies and the former executive director of National Nurses United, said that she would consider getting behind him in 2024, quote, I think Cornel West is one of the most amazing people on the planet, end quote. DeMauro, who has been highly critical of Biden on Twitter, rejected the idea that West could be a spoiler in the presidential race, saying, quote, that's a false narrative. Now, again, you know, I want to, you know, remind y'all that this is like a political, like their mainstream media editorial. So, they're not going to be the most positive and supportive of, of West here. So that's at least the bias that we can read from this. So here, so this is now political. Uh, no third party member has ever won the presidency, but both Democrats and Republicans have argued that such candidates have been spoilers in the past. Many Democrats feel that the Green Party's Jill Stein siphoned votes away uh, from Hillary Clinton in 2016. Uh, helping usher former President Donald Trump into office. Some Republicans likewise think Ross Perot paved the way for Bill Clinton. Again, this is just like, no, Hillary lost because she's a bad candidate. And she, she lost. It's like, again, like, no, you took our votes. It's like, they were never yours to begin with. Maybe have a better platform. <laughs> it's like, you're not entitled to people's votes. You're like, you're not. <laughs> okay? Especially if you promise certain uh positions and policies and then you kind of just like fall flat on it or it's just like oh i tried and we just didn't get it <laughs> it's like you know yeah man i i yeah anyway so uh, here again uh west people's party only currently has ballot access in florida according to the group's national chair nick brana but he added we plan on being on all 50 states now of course that's not the case and green party uh has ballot access in a number of states. I don't think it's all 50, but certainly most of them. Um, yeah, so while that's a tall order, some progressives are privately floating the possibility of rest running on the Green Party's ballot line, which now he has. So Brianna said uh, there have been no such discussions with the Green Party, but Gloria Matera and Greg Jokoy, uh, Jokoy, co-chairs 
of the Green Party's media committee did not rule out the possibility and said that we have a quote, we have a process and Dr. West is welcome to seek the nomination under party rules and requirements. Okay, and then again, this is here with Politico. So right, so West has no chance of beating Biden, but the fear in some democratic circles is that West's candidacy and fondness that he elicits from individuals in Sanders' orbit may provide a permission structure for a small percentage of progressives to sour on the president. 69% of liberal voters approve of Biden's job performance compared to 21 who disapprove, according to a recent poll by Monmouth, Monmouth University. But Biden faces deep skepticism on young voters, a key constituency of Sanders, with 56% of 18 to 34-year-olds giving him a thumbs down and 32% a thumbs up. So, yeah, so for like Gen Xers and Boomers, like Biden has support, but then with the young, you know, uh, Millennials, Gen Z, and it's crazy too, because I read another, like there's like, I think Gen A or something like that. Like there's, you know, the, 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 the kids born after 2010, which is crazy to me because now they're like getting to like, you know, 13, 14 years old. Anyway, because like Gen Z is early 2000s, millennials is like the 90s, like late 80s or like 90s. And then Gen X is like 70s and 80s. Anyway, <laughs> um, so yeah, so, so yeah, so that's the percentages. And of course, yeah, it says 56% of disapproval among 18 to 34 year olds so that's like that is significant man and again there's going to be more young people 2024 there's gonna be millions of eligible young people now and it's still like what are what is what are you thinking you know my god that's why like you have so many states like talking about like voter restrictions and like now they're talking about raising the voting age like it's unbelievable like dude <laughs> yeah so sanders himself has made it clear that he's standing behind biden Having served, as, having served as a reliable team player since the 2020 election, the Biden team, meanwhile, appears for now to be taking a similar approach to West as it had uh, to Kennedy, though the very different candidates ignore him. And again, you know, Robert Kennedy Jr., he is uh, making some interesting comments. And this is, of course, before he made some COVID comments about, like, it's genetically designed to protect and avoid Jewish people and Chinese. I'm like, oh, my God. It's so crazy. It, I mean, again, this is like when you see stuff like this, it's like the only reason we're hearing this guy out is because he has the same last name as like this political, you know, crime family. Like, that's the only reason why anybody talks about him. <laughs> and then there's Marianne Williamson, who's like, I don't even take her seriously. Like, she gives off that, like, like she, I guess, was like a wellness expert or something before her presidential runs. And like, some people that I knew that were really into like you know crystals and like oh the aliens they visited us and you know the anunnaki and some shit like that like they were into marianne williamson so i'm like yeah that's not <laughs> that's not gonna go anywhere but you know the thing about Cornel west is that he actually has some legitimacy you know he's not just some like some like because they call him an intellectual like yeah he's an intellectual he's a political like commentator philosopher you know, very qualified. Like, I would say he's certainly far more qualified than Robert Kennedy and Marion Williamson. More qualified than Biden. Absolutely more qualified. Like, dude. And then, like, I like, and then he's like, I want people to listen to him talk because, like, he's like a, a real orator. Like, I'm just imagining him now at the State of the Union address. Like, dude, that would, like, 
be like a legendary address like um, like up there with like abraham lincoln like honestly like just imagining him like speaking like dude so that's why i'm i'm with it because i mean like i actually feel some hope <laughs> with him i do i don't feel any hope with biden or any other democratic candidate in choice i don't it's like uh, i you know you know i get told like certain uh, by certain people it's like Oh, well, you know, all these stuff that you talk about, it's not your problem. So, you know, you can't fix the world. It's like, I get that. But it's like, you want me to what? Ignore this? And then that's when I lose hope. And that's when I start, like, you know, falling and getting rock bottom. Because it's like, what, what reason do I have to continue if I don't have any hope to make the world a better place? Like, you know, I, again, man, there's only so much you can put people through. But it's like, you know, there has to be hope. And if there isn't there, if it's not there, then what's the point? So if you don't have a candidate who inspires hope, then it's like you're just wasting our time. It would be a waste of my vote, you know, if I if I didn't know for certain that he was going to fight for me, you know, because with Biden, it's literally just like vote for me or the other guy gets it. You know, at least with Cornel West, it's like vote for me and we're going to make some changes. OK, and that's what we need. We need to make some fucking changes. And I'm sorry to say it so bluntly. But we're like, I I mean, dude, it's unbelievable. I mean, who knows? He might say this and then, you know, once he's in office, like, might fall short of expectations. Who knows? But it's just like, we need to shake up, honestly, with our political system. Ah, my God. Again, you know, it's all this talk about legitimacy. Like, this is a country founded by genocidal colonists. And they want to talk about legitimacy. Like, stop. Like, come on. <laughs> You know, anyway, so, yeah, that's at least um, here. They made some comments about Bernie Sanders. I'm going to see about anything else here. Okay, this is some uh, comments from Bernie Sanders. Uh, so, right, so, quote, Cornel West is a man of courage and brilliance. He's a prolific writer, an extraordinary orator, and a friend of mine, Sanders wrote in Our Revolution. Uh, his, book his book chronicling his 2016 campaign, quote, it is always a bit intimidating to get up on stage after being introduced by Dr. Cornel West. Dr. West was an important part of the campaign from coast to coast. So yeah, man. Cornel West, I think he saw what happened with Bernie when he went in the Democratic uh, primary process. And now he's saying, well, that didn't work. <laughs> so now we're going to go Green Party, which is what Sanders should have done from the start. But hey, you know, it's whatever. So uh, after Sanders lost the Democratic nomination in 2016, West endorsed Stein, uh, the Green Party presidential candidate. In 2020, he voted for Biden, explaining that he supported a, quote, mediocre, milquetoast neoliberal centrist because he's better than fascism. And a fascist catastrophe is worse than a neoliberal disaster. End, end quote. So you know, I can't disagree with that there. Again, though, I just I just couldn't bring myself to do it. But. At least, you know, he's making it very clear, like, I like I don't like doing this. <laughs> like, yeah, he's very being very upfront as to why he did that. Um, so, yeah. So uh, Heather Gottney is another uh, Sanders alum who has nothing but nice things to say about West. Quote, I would run out of superlatives to describe that man. I love him. Uh, end quote, said Gottney, Sanders senior policy advisor in 2020. Quote, the whole platform that he's running on his presence in the conversation I think it's vital, end quote. So, right. So, okay. And 
But if it comes down to the wire and West is only getting 2% or 3% of the vote in key battleground states, she hopes that he makes a similar determination to the one uh, he did in 2020 and ultimately backs Biden. Quote, I trust him to do the right thing, she said, and to make the right calculation. Ask about what he'd do in a such scenario. West did not respond. So, yep, that's uh, that's interesting. I mean, that would be interesting because, like, we don't have, like, ranked choice footing. So it's like you could put, like, your first choice for Cornel West. And then if he doesn't make the first round, then it goes to Biden. I mean, I wouldn't do that. But if other people want to do that, that's that should be the option. So, but, yeah, that's, again, that's more 2024. So we'll get to that when it comes but it's uh interesting to look at what is happening uh what is being set up so yeah now you know we were talking at least about some political commentary and uh we are political domestic commentaries but now we're getting on to some other subject matters and again i'm talking a lot about domestic issues a lot has happened in the last couple of days so this is at least uh what we can highlight uh, here, and this is more like workers' rights sort of issues. We've had, and I believe I've talked about the writer's strike uh, for, you know, just passing at least. Uh, but now the writer's strike, and this is um, mainly like media and you know, entertainment, um, the writer's strike has gone into effect, uh, which, uh, or like the writers' actors' strike, so a joint strike. And this is the first since the 60s, okay? So this has been a long time since we've had a joint uh, strike writers and actors strike and you know some people they might like brush this aside you know yeah certainly like there are a lot of a-list you know bourgeois uh actors there you know millionaires right again though what's at stake here and you know the dynamic ultimately is um ownership and right and control of the means of production so this is a dispute between the workers which is the writers and the actors and the owners, which is the producer and all the studio executives, the directors. Well, I wouldn't say directors or owners, but certainly producers. And this is, uh, you know, the more I read on this, the more like cartoonishly like evil these producers are, are coming out as. Like these CEOs for like Disney and all that. Like, I like I don't know what their end game is. Like they literally are just going to create a siege with this strike. And literally they're saying like, oh, we're just waiting for people to lose their houses. And it's just like, it's siege warfare. It's what it is. It's like, it's unbelievable. And then you read about uh, the certain provisions that are being made and like the writers like uh, and actors being concerned about AI. And like AI is a big factor in this and streaming residuals. It's like, dude, like these executives are fucking assholes. Like they're the worst people. I mean, again, these are, they're used to sick offense and yes, men. So it's like, they're like... You, you read some of these comments from the producers and it's like, well, we tried to work and these demands are just unreasonable. And it's like uh, one of the actors from like, uh, you know, the Netflix show Orange is the New Black. Like she literally only got like $27 <laughs> from the residuals. And it's like, what the fuck? And this is like one of the best shows that were made. And it's just like, yeah, uh, dude. Anyway, so yeah, reading from NBC. So yeah, here. Uh, Hollywood's film and television assembly line is grinding to a halt. Thousands of screenwriters have been on strike for more than two months, and they will now be joined on the picket line by thousands of actors represented by the Screen Actors Guild and the American uh, Federation of Television and Radio Artists, or SAG-AFTRA, a labor union 
whose members include some of the most famous faces in the entertainment industry. So SAG-AFRA's national board voted unanimously Thursday to go on strike, marking the first time film and television performers have staged a work stoppage since 1980. The vote came the morning after high-stick negotiations between the Guild and a trade association representing the entertainment industry's top studios broke down. So uh, Hollywood actors and writers had not been on strike simultaneously since 1960 when John F. Kennedy was running for president and Gunsmoke was the top-rated series on U.S. television. And stars like Elizabeth Taylor lit up cinema marquees. Here's what you need to know about the issues at the center of the fight and how it could shape what you watch. The dispute pits SAC-AFRA against the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, or AMPTP, a trade association that represents behemoth entertainment corporations such as Disney, Netflix, Paramount, and Warner Brothers Discovery. Uh, the group represents NBC Universal, the parent company of ABC News. So, like this article is owned by the very producer union that is like trying to fuck over writers and actors so again <laughs> this might not be the most unbiased source whatever and so yeah so sacked after was formed in 2012 after the merger of the screen actors guild founded in 1933 and the american federation of television and radio artists the combined guild represents roughly 160,000 performers from oscar-winning a-list stars such as tom hanks and meryl streep to radio personalities and television presenters. The president of SAG-AFTRA is Fran Drescher, best known for playing the title role on the CBS sitcom The Nanny. She was elected to lead the union in this September of 2021. Uh, so what do actors want? So SAG-AFTRA's members are seeking a new contract with the AMPTP, an agreement that they believe must account for economic realities of the streaming revolution and risk posed by emerging digital technologies. The Guild would like increased performer-based compensation, which union leaders say has declined dramatically as entertainment companies pivot away from paying out residuals, a type of royalty that was more common when popular shows were sold into syndication instead of banked exclusively on streaming services. SAG-AFRA's members are also alarmed by the rise of artificial intelligence, such as tools that could create digital composites of popular stars. The Guild has called for tighter regulations and safeguards to protect, to help protect actors. Quote, against the unauthorized use of their voice, likeness, and performances. End quote. Drescher addressing these concerns in a letter to SAG-AFRA members overnight, writing in part that her team was fighting for performers, quote, on whom this industry relies. End quote. Quote, as you know, over the past decade, your compensation has been severely eroded by the rise of the streaming econ ecosystem. She wrote. Furthermore, Artificial intelligence poses an existential threat to creative professions and all actors and performers deserve contract language that protects them from having their identity and talent exploited without consent and pay. The writer's complaints closely parallel those of Hollywood screenwriters who have been on strike since early May after talks between the Writers Guild or WGA and the Producers Guild failed. Uh, the industry screenwriters, for example, uh, fear that generative AI programs like ChatGDP, GPT, uh, could one day be used as a substitute for their human labor. Uh, what did the studios say? So here's their interesting comment. So uh, when it became clear late Wednesday that negotiations were going nowhere and a strike was more likely, the AMPTP said it was, quote, deeply disappointed and accused SAG-AFTRA of walking away from the talks. Quote, this is the union's choice, not ours. 
end quote, the group said in a statement, quote, in doing so, it has dismissed our offer of historic pay and residual increases, substantially higher caps on pensions and health contributions, audition protections, a shortened series option periods, a groundbreaking AI proposal that protects actors' digital likeness, and more. Uh, quote, rather than continuing to negotiate, the group added, SAG-DAFRA has put on a has put us on a course that will deepen the financial hardship for thousands who depend on the industry for their livelihoods. In an interview with CNBC that aired Thursday, Disney CEO uh, Bob Iger, one of the most powerful executives in American media, said actors and writers alike were not being realistic in their expectations. Quote, It is very disturbing to me. We've talked about disruptive forces on this business and the challenges we're facing, the recovery from COVID, which is ongoing. It's not completely back, he said in part. Quote, this is the worst time in the world to add that disruption, end quote. In recent days, entertainment industry workers on social media expressed dismay over a quote published by the trade publication Deadline that was attributed to an unnamed studio executive. Quote, the end game, the executive was quoted as saying, is to allow things to drag on until union members start losing their apartments and losing their homes, end quote. So, yeah, I mean, this is just like a, uh, you know, again, it's just like you see that they're talking about they—they're not saying it up front, but it's like all oh, the entitlement. It's just like you like you don't think it's entitled that these executives don't want to like cut like a just a cut like like not even like all like not even like fifty percent of their wealth. You know, like you don't think that's disturbing that they're just like oh. This is the worst time for this. And this just, you know, this disruption is just not good for any of us. And like, he's like literally on like a yacht, like in all this other bullshit. I don't know, man. It's just unbelievable. And you see some of these like, um, again, because like, this is like all actors. Okay. So, um, I was reading somewhere that they were talking about like how Tom, Tom Cruise was getting involved with these negotiations. And I mean, like imagine <laughs> negotiating with Tom Cruise, bro. That'd be so fucking intense. My God. I mean, dude, these are actors. Like, bro, like, it's like maybe it's not the best idea to form like a labor dispute with people who are whose job is literally like PR and reciting monologues and like, you know, <laughs> it's unbelievable. Like, just yeah, uh, unbelievable. And again, you know, uh, this is a uh, directly affecting uh, studios and productions and like, uh, you know, the Oppenheimer like premiere, like it. Like it happened literally right as the the strike, you know, the strike decision from the actors happened right as uh, the premiere was starting, and then like all the actors left. <laughs> like literally, Matt Damon was like saying, like, yeah, once I get the notice, we're gone, and then they left, <laughs> which is awesome. Like, oh great, like man, I don't, I don't get it, dude. Like, I just don't like. What's the end game? It's like, and then you know, they talk about AI, um, and you know, they're trying to pivot towards like ai scripts and even ai actors like you know you scan the actor and then you have like this avatar and it's like dude like what what's the point of art and like cinema if there's no human expression like dude like all these like ai art like uh, advocates it's just like you have no like you're only interested in the novelty and not the implications and the consequences of this like, it's just a novelty. Oh, look at this AR art image. It's like, bro, it looks like shit. <laughs> You're just interested in the novelty of it because, like, oh, this computer that has compiled all these data points from, like, millions of different images, 
like was able to copy the same thing. And again, you know, like these uh, AI art images, like they, especially with like, say like models, right? You know, they start doing human likeness and human, uh, you know, images like that. This could turn into a catfishing uh, issue. Again, though, like somebody who falls for like an AI art, like uh, AI picture for catfishing is like, I don't know, man. Like sometimes I see an AR like image of like a model, like some like bikini model. And I'm like, that doesn't like, I don't get attracted by that. Like I can just see how fake it is. Like, I don't know. It's just like, yeah, man. It's just like, cause it's too perfect, right? They're too hot. You know, I'm not saying, you know, I don't want to like comment on people's women's appearance or anything, but it's like, yeah, man. It's just like, you know, the people who are hung up on that, they're only focused on the superficial, like, oh, this oh, she's got big tits, oh, look at that, like, you know, that's all they focus on, you know, and it's like, you know, even, like, for real women, and I don't want to say that, you know, don't want to make comments on women, but it's like, even, you know, if I can see, like, a really attractive model, but it's like, that's only going to get me for, like, 10 seconds, and I'm like, who is she as a person, you know, <laughs> like, genuinely, <laughs> anyway, so it's like, when you see, like, like, an AI art, like, rendering of, like, you know, these, like, bikini models, it's like, Okay, I don't care. Like, I don't fucking care. And it's like, it's obvious that it's fake. But, you know, some men are really horny. And they just, they have no thought process. It's just like, women, women. And they're just cranking one out. Like, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so here, you know, the implications of AI. And they're talking about chat GPT. And how that could be used for generation for, like, scripts. Which is, like, unreal. Like, it, it's like... How does it even, how does an AI even, like, write a script that's, like, without, like, copying, like, other movies? Like, that's the only way they can get it is by, like, taking data, you know, and compiling that and, like, just writing. I don't know, man. It's just so disjointed. I've never used chat, uh, that uh, AI thing. You know, and it's, like, you know, the thing that's happening now with that program is that, you know, you have, like, students now using it, which is unbelievable that, like, People are that lazy. It's like, why do you go to school? And, you know, I'm not one of these people that, like, gets upset at, like, you know, young students who, like, go to school and then, like, they have all these problems because, like, I was a fucking idiot. Again, you know, some of these things that, like, I was expected of me when I was, like, 18, 19 years old, I'm like, I had no idea what the fuck I was doing. And, like, I needed more guidance. And you just threw me into that. Uh, You know, can, you know, regardless of that, because again, you know, the whole point of college is that adjustment. But using ChatGDP, the the chat program for essays and assignments, it's like not nah, like that. Is you're just lazy. You're you're lazy, and you know you're setting yourself up for failure because it doesn't matter if you do all of that chat stuff on your assignments, especially if like you're going to be an engineer or law or you know a medical degree, like. That's going to come to bite you in the ass. Like it's, well, it's plagiarism, academic dishonesty, which is like a big no-no for universities. But it's like, if you somehow manage to like pass the bar and all that stuff, just using chat GDP, the, the chat program, and then like, you're actually in like a real situation and it's very obvious that like, you're not qualified, like that's going to bite you. Like you could go to jail for you know perjury and all that stuff, you know? Yeah, you know? Anyway, so kind of got off track on that. But the idea of um, using AI programs, you know, digital like script writing, the digital like image capture and like, you know, 
having people like with these avatars and i'm not talking like motion capture because motion capture there's actually like a human person you know being modeled okay like there's actual acting you know that's why like you know avatar you know some people like to hit on avatar and i mean it's an easy target but still like even with all that technology and cgi there are human actors okay and you have the human face and emotions you know when um you know, Nateum dies, like, and you see the reaction from everybody, especially Nateri, like, that's a, you know, human person, you know, screaming and crying, you know, anyway, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's like, again, they, they don't, they don't view art as, like, something sacred that has to have, like, some sort of purity and integrity, they just view it as a product, so if they can push out something you know, again, like this Flash movie that came out, Ezra Miller's problems that were, you know, making things bad. It's like they did all of this, and like the Flash is like coming out as like the worst flop ever for for the DC the DCEU like um, studios. I mean, it still made millions of dollars. That's the crazy thing. It's like this. It still made millions of dollars, and it's still a flop. That's fucking like what? Like I just. <laughs> and then you see some other like big budget movie uh, studio like. Um, I was reading about the creator, which is coming out. Uh, and that's a looks like a pretty cool sci-fi movie. That budget is like eighty million. So like even if it has like a pretty weak opening, like it could easily clear one hundred million. Like, dude, like, and, and and like and it's a good. It looks good. Like it might get a pretty good uh, opening for that. So I mean, I get you know, it's like for these studios, they're creating their own problems by like creating these big budget unsustainable projects especially since like they have to cut other movies to release this one like they cut a uh, Batgirl right like they were they were doing all sorts like I mean they were in post-production they were well into post-production when they cut the film like dude like wow my goodness so that's the entertainment but you know one final point that I want to bring up because you know you might think oh well it's whatever it's Hollywood but it's like you know, a lot of people right now, the only thing that they're looking forward to is, like, a, a movie or a show, you know. So, like, you know, when you take that away from people, or at least, you know, when the quality is so bad, like, it's noticeable, it's like, what do you think? Or like, I don't know what's going to be the implications of that. Because, I mean, Hollywood is literally like the bread and circuses. Like, we have sports, we have, uh, you know, these movies and shows that are to distract the people. But it's like, what happens when you take that away? Like, hmm, I, I don't think any good things are going to happen because, I mean, people need to be distracted. So when they don't have their shows and movies, or at least, you know, the quality is very noticeable, like even like regular people are like, what the fuck am I watching? Like, I don't know, like that could lead to something. I don't know what it would lead to, but it would it would have an effect, you know, it would demoralize the population and then they could be more susceptible to a, to some other radical uh, forces, you know, extremist forces. So. Anyway, so just talking at least uh, on the writer's strike. And there's also like an upcoming Teamster strike. So, you know, I'll comment on that once the deadline passes because they're going to strike in August. So we'll see that. I mean, I want this to snowball. I don't want as many strikes as possible because like the, the people need to wake up. Okay. And it's just it's surprising to me how we have all these labor movements that are happening in the wake of COVID. And you don't really hear any talk about it. It's just like. It's really hushed, 
Because again, they don't want people to be inspired to rebel and to strike and to demand for better conditions and better uh, benefits and better pay. Again, it every strike boils down to the bosses holding out on the workers. Okay, because if the workers were getting a fair wage and a fair pay, they wouldn't be striking. There you go. It's like the the problem has already been solved. Like just pay the workers better. What how, like you know it's just crazy. Like. Everything that we talk about, these social services and, and uh, you know, benefits and programs, it's like they, they could be easily funded and the rich could still have a pretty good chunk of the pie. They could live very comfortably and we could live comfortably, but they're not interested in that. It's just complete domination. So that's like, oh, no, we need to work with capitalism. No, man. Like it's inherent domination and exploitation. <laughs> anyway, so that's um the writer strike that's happening and. Uh, some other strikes that will be coming down the line, hopefully. So uh, here, at least, um, you know, this isn't exactly like the biggest like political issue here or you know domestic issue here, but I wanted to at least talk on some like local stories that had happened. So this one is concerning to do with the, the military, and again, this just shows how pervasive these sort of operations are. So out of Camp Pendleton in California. There was a 14-year-old found in the barracks, so a marine barracks. Uh, like this is fucked up, man. And not too long ago, I, like this is like this isn't like a one-off thing. Like there was like a couple of years ago, like a couple of marines were arrested for human trafficking. Like, dude, un like crazy. Like again, this is pervasive. It's in the military. It's in the police. In fact, okay, let me go. There's another story about like this Chicago police station okay let me focus on the on the uh let me see here so okay because i was talking about camp pendleton but i'll talk about this other story in chicago so in camp pendleton uh they're saying here a 14 year old this is from uh abc like a uh, local station abc7 uh so out of california los angeles um a 14 year old girl who was reported missing from her spring valley home last month is back home after she was found at camp pendleton authorities said today uh, while the Marine was reportedly has reportedly been taken into custody in the case, which is being investigated by human trafficking authorities. The girl, who has not been identified because of her age, was reported missing by her grandmother on June 13th, according to the San Diego County Sheriff's uh, Department. Okay, so I said Los, Los Angeles is really San Diego. So uh, sheriff officials said the grandmother told them the girl who had run away before but always returned home quickly went missing on June 9th. The teen's information was entered into a missing persons database, including the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Military police at Camp Pendleton located the girl on June 28th and informed the sheriff's department. Detectives interviewed her and the family has offered services, was offered services, authorities said. Quote, when a minor runs away, there's usually underlying trauma associated, free counseling and social service programs to help the girl and her family to deal with trauma and personal issues are being offered. Lieutenant Carpenter, a watch commander uh, for the SCSD, told City News Services. Uh, the girl was not hospitalized, but it was unclear if she sustained any injuries. Uh, since Camp Pendleton is federal property, Naval Criminal Investigative Services, or NCIS, is handling the investigation. The San Diego County Sheriff's Department and the San Diego Human Trafficking Task Force are supporting NCIS with the investigation, sheriff's officials said. 
On June 28th, a Marine was taken into custody by military police on the base and questioned by NCIS personnel about his involvement with the girl. Uh, meanwhile, the girl's aunt, Cassandra Perez, posted a video on TikTok in which uh, she said that her family was afraid of retaliation from the military and from the man she believes trafficked her niece. Okay, so, yeah, this is a very serious you know, story. This is not the first human trafficking case out of that specific base. And there's other bases where there's crime as well involved. You know, you know crime, uh, drugs, human trafficking, weapons. Yeah, man, like it's pretty pervasive. It's uh, the gang, the gang activity, uh, black market activity in the military is uh, a lot worse than most people are talking about, you know, and then also in the police as well. But yeah, you know, this girl, they said from June 9th to the 28th. So practically, you know, 19 days, don't 20 days. And who knows uh, what was happening during that. Again, you know, she was being sold for sex, they're saying. So, I mean, that's fucking gross, man. Like. And again, this is in the military. <laughs> and again, you can read up all kinds of stories about, you know, cover-ups of like murders and rapes in the military. Um, yeah, man, it's it's fucked up, bro. It's really fucked up just reading about this sort of stuff. And it's not surprising. It's just like this is, you know, yeah, man, like this, this sort of thing already happened in that base. So, yeah, man, it's fucked up. You know, it's unbelievable that this sort of thing happened. And it's on like military federal property, but yeah. So I was talking because you know this is in specifics to a you know military base, but then now also as I was talking about the uh, police stations, because again, like the police are uh, basically like a paramilitary force occupying the country, you know, incredibly militarized. So uh, there's another story out of Chicago of Chicago cop or Chicago cops um, having sexual you know assaults because again because uh, they're it, these are like underage minors so it's an a rape um yeah so and they're saying that one of the officers even impregnated one of the the victims so it's yeah it's fucked up I mean it's just the think about like when it comes to this country and like where children can be safe, like, you know, there's always talk about drag shows. Oh no, we can't have children at drag shows, but yet children are more safe at drag shows than at police stations, than at public schools, than in churches. Okay. Like look what's happening. Like, so here, and I'm reading from Jezebel. I just pulled up a quick article. So Chicago police are investigating their own officers who are accused of sexual assault against newly arrived immigrants including a now-pregnant teenager who were living at a police station, according to Chicago media. Uh, Chicago Sun-Times reported that one of the officers responsible for covering the neighborhoods of Lawndale and Little Village is accused of raping a teenager and impregnating them. No age was reported. Uh, the newspaper reported that multiple officers are under investigation for sexual crimes, both internally and by an independent accountability arm. The Civil Office of Police Accountability said the department received a complaint on Thursday triggering the internal investigation, quote, while COPA investigators are currently determining whether the facts and details of these allegations are substantiated, we want to assure the public that all allegations of this nature are of the highest priority and COPA will move swiftly to address any misconduct by those involved. COPA First Deputy Chief Administrator Ephraim Eddy 
said in the statements to the Chicago Tribune on Friday. It's unclear if officers are on leave as the investigation progresses. The Sun-Times was unable to substantiate if any potential accusations were forwarded to the county prosecutor office. Uh, since April, the Tribune reported 22 of Chicago's police stations are housing hundreds of recently arrived people. In the last year, nearly 11,000 asylum seekers uh, have come to the city. Many on buses, courtesy of Texas Governor Greg Abbott, that piece of shit, you know, leaving people out in the cold. Um, right, so uh, those in power are attempting to get them into more permanent housing. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker uh, put $42.5 million to help immigrants in the state during the fiscal year. Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson's office said that they were monitoring the situation closely. Quote, the city takes these allegations as well as the care and well-being of all residents and new arrivals very seriously. A spokesperson from the mayor's office said, quote, we are monitoring the situation closely but cannot comment further as this is the subject of an ongoing investigation by the Bureau of Internal Affairs and the Civil Office of Police Accountability. So, right, that is what's happening. Dude, like, it's just unbelievable. Again, it's the police. You know, what, what are you going to do? Yeah, man, it's just crazy to think about that this sort of thing happens. It's like a regular feature of our uh, you know, institutions, you know, especially when it comes to the military and security forces. Like, again, these are occupiers. These are colonizers. They're, the, the military is not to protect America. It's to protect the interests of corporations, to loot natural resources, to destroy the global south. That's their job. The police are here to domestically. So, right. So, we have the, the, the military or the police for the world. And the police are, like, the military for internal uh, subjugation. Anyway, I mean, they're all, they're all working at the interests and behests of these corporations. Um, you know, protecting property. Uh, s- squashing labor uh, disputes. You know, strikes and such. I mean... Again, dude, like not too long ago, like the railroad workers were about to go on strike. Like if they had actually followed through on that, um, the police would have broken down doors and like forced people to go to work. Like that's what would have happened. So, again, it's like all this talk about whenever, oh, you don't need a gun because you just need to call the police. It's like who like it's like all the police need is like an order to ruin our lives. And like you honestly think they're going to like, no, we're, I'm. I'm going to conscientiously object to this. You're like, no, man, if they get the orders, especially, you know, since we're like, we're, we're Hispanic people. And I'm talking about like, when I have like family discussions, I'm like, we're Hispanic people in this racist state. Okay. And if the orders come through by the police to round us up, they will do it. That is, there's no objections. Okay. Like who do you, who do you think is going to carry out these orders and like round people up into boxcars? Like, hello, like, these people, they, they want to start a Holocaust. Like, this is, I'm not being hyperbolic. Like, that, unbelievable. So, you know, that's the, you know, I was talking about human trafficking. But again, like, there's other aspects within the police and military that are involved in the black market. Uh, it's, they're, they're very much, you know, uh, hand in hand. So, that's uh, what we will talk on later. But yeah, so that was a pretty lengthy portion. Now, I uh, wanted to at least continue, but there was a lot to discuss, and I'll uh, be talking about these uh, 
international uh, situations, geopolitic issues. Yeah, it's um, there's a lot to unpack, especially with the Ukraine war, new developments. Uh, so yeah, this is uh, what we will touch up on. Talking on this Ukraine war and uh, new developments being made. The Ukraine war, of course, we had the you know Wagner rebellion, which is kind of like. I don't. It's so confusing even following that, but it seems to be like nothing happening anymore. So who knows? Um, at least you know the Wagner troops. They're reported to be in Belarus, so they're training Belarusian troops. I don't know if this means that there there's going to be a planned Belarusian invasion of Ukraine. That I don't know if that's the case, but anyway, like we're just uh, following that. But you know, Ukraine is also on the one hand is doing their own moves, making their own moves. And there was the you know, long-awaited counteroffensive that was supposed to have uh, come through. And it's, I don't even know what the status of that is. Like, they haven't made a breakthrough. Um, they've liberated, like, some villages. But it's, like, it's very obvious that this counteroffensive is not working. Very obvious. Because in this sort of warfare, this style of warfare, you have to break through fast, okay? You can't be ground down, okay? And that's what's happening, okay? Ukraine doesn't have the industrial capacity or the manpower to sustain long-term uh, losses like this. Intense losses, because the fighting is very intense. Again, I don't know what the end game is. They're just like, oh, we got to fight. All this duty and honor is it's fucking horseshit. And again, you know, I talk about this on Twitter. You know, I make my comments because I'm like, I'm not supportive. I mean, it's not that I want Ukraine to be completely occupied, but it's like, this is a waste of resources and time and lives and they're not even attempting to make any sort of peace agreement like okay fine like we can't take these lands back so they're already majority russian uh let's just make an agreement because like U ukraine like dude like again you know this is the thing where, where you talk with a lot of nafo like people you know who are only pro-ukrainian like unreasonably pro-ukrainian it's like ukraine is has like no control of the airspace basically like they get like drone bombed uh air you know missile attacks daily you know bombers like daily this is like a daily thing for them okay okay like there's some there have been some like drone attacks some terror attacks in russia but not to the same degree that like russia like dominates their airspace like dude come on man it's it's un it's unbelievable like the callousness of this war and how Ukrainians, they truly think that they, they're, they're going to gain something from this. When, like, again, if they take back Crimea and the Donbass, you know, Luhansk areas, you know, all those occupied areas, like, their country will still be devastated. And they would need billions of aid from the United States. And, like, again, we just had another aid package. So, you know, I'm talking about initially the article that I have uh, is about cluster bomb, you know, munitions, which are highly controversial. And then they announced another package, like 1.6 billion packages. It's just like we drop money at dollar after dollar, billions of dollars into this war. Billions, okay? Which is like, this is such an obvious money laundering scheme. Obvious. It's so obvious. But again, you know, people are hung up on honor and uh, duty and, oh, you have to fight. And uh, it's like, I, it's just, uh, it's such a waste, man. Again, you know, I saw this video of these, like, soldiers walking through a mine, trying to clear a mine. And again, people were like, wow, what brave souls. And, oh, man, so much sacrifice. I'm like, this is 
a travesty okay like again there's a lot of like people who are just like who who love the murder porn like footage that's coming out of this war it's it's devastating like i don't like seeing russian or ukrainian soldiers like having a grenade dropped on them like that's i don't like my god such a waste of life dude it's so sad really um and again there's no talk of peace you if you talk about peace oh you're a russian apologist it's like it, it would be like if mexico or if the united states invaded mexico and then we took baja california and then like mexico was like we're gonna fight to the last man to take back baja california which like objectively that sounds good like yeah i mean they should take it back because it is part of their territory but it's like you're up against the united states and you are going to suffer more damage and harm by trying to take that back and even that and even that you know even if they manage to push out all the russian troops how much you want to bet the ukrainians are going to say well no you see we're going to have this historic dispute because really our borders were here and it's gonna it's just escalate from there unbelievable unbelievable so yeah, so reading from the BBC and at least, you know, just these cluster bomb um, munitions that have that the United States is now giving to Ukraine, which, again, like, this is like an obvious sign of the desperation on the war effort and, like, the United States trying to provide aid because it's like the problem hasn't been solved through all this financial aid, uh, the, the military assistance, the, the money. And again, you know, a lot of that money isn't like hard cash. It's like the assets, the value of assets. So, like, you've been throwing billions and billions of dollars at this war, and it's not changing. Like, it's, Ukraine is getting hurt more. Like, Ukraine is going to suffer more through this war than they would if they just made a concession. And then, like, okay, fine, just take those territories, and then that's our agreed, uh, you know, demarcation. And again, you know, it's just, you know, there was rumors of, like, China trying to make a, a peace deal so who knows what how legit are those but here yeah so reading from bbc so uh, the u.s has announced it is complying with the ukrainian request to supply with controversial cluster munitions uh, the move has been criticized by human rights groups as a weapon is banned by more than 100 countries uh, what are cluster munitions cluster munitions are a method of dispersing a large number of tiny bomblets from a rocket missile or artillery shell that scatters them in mid-flight over a wide area they are intended to explode on impact, but a significant portion are duds, meaning that they don't explode initially. This happens especially if they land on wet or soft ground. They can then explode at a later date or by, by being picked up or trod on, killing or maiming the victim. And these are usually children that they get hurt by this. Um, so from a military perspective, they can be horribly effective when used against dug-in uh, ground troops in trenches and fortified positions, rendering large areas too dangerous to move around until it's carefully cleared so yeah so it's like a shell that is you know fired a shell rocket whatever munition that's fired and then over the uh payload or the area of effect yeah it's uh it's yeah dispersed and then the little bomblets like either you know, a couple hundred of them are dropped and as i said you know some of them don't explode and some of them remain it's like a mine. It's like an aerial mine, essentially. And it's uh, crazy because, like, they're saying about um, this is particularly, you know, the duds happen if it's, like, soft or wet ground. And, like, uh, we're talking about, like, Ukrainian, like, planes and 
you know, one of the major, like, uh, you know, and this is the thing about the region just in general, not just here, but also like in World War II with the German invasions, like, it's uh, hard, it's like, uh, it's hard to move, you know, the tanks, they drudge up so much soil and dirt, and like, it's like a mud pit, a mud swamp, so that ground is already pretty wet, especially like, during the rain so like the only time is really hard it's like during winter when it freezes so yeah man like this is gonna leave behind like i mean depending on how often they use this which is going to be a lot again like this this region is going to be uh mined um it's going to be mined it's going to have all these dud bombs and they're also using depleted uranium which is going to poison the land i mean like you know areas where there's where these weapons are deployed have cancer rates and like birth deformities and such like it's unbelievable man. like just how far they're gonna go and it's like what what's next like mustard gas like what, what, what the fuck dude like like they talk about russia using chemical weapons but it's like at this point it feels like ukraine is gonna use chemical weapons because they're fucking desperate and then they also like there is like this um concerns about the the zaporizhia nuclear plant like oh russia's gonna detonate it and it's like this seems like a false flag like again like what does russia have to gain from that like they're not the ones who are desperate okay like ukraine is desperate and it seems like they'll do anything at this point to to win and they just did like another bombing on the crimean bridge uh, i think they killed some civilians uh so it's like they're they're certain to i don't know like it just doesn't seem like they have a grip on the situation and they're just gonna start causing damage like the like and again, you know, whenever these sort of things happen where Ukrainians are, you know, doing unconventional actions or in this case with like the munitions, the cluster munitions, there's all these people coming to defend out of the woodwork. Well, you see, technically, uh, you know, cluster bombs aren't you know banned by the Geneva Convention because it's, they say that it's banned by 100 countries. So it's like it's not technically a war crime, but yeah, man, it's like all these like semantics and like legalities and it's like do you not understand like the the damage that this is going to happen and like this hurts ukraine more like what do you think is going to happen if like ukraine actually clears these areas but all these like leftover bombs are like in these fields like bro like these are like children farmers like their tractors are going to get exploded or you know there's going to be fucking uranium like pollution like my goodness man Again, this is all a money laundering scheme. Like, that's all it is. Again, like, Zelensky, he's not interested in making an agreement because we have to take back our land and we have to be strong. It's all this nationalism. Like, that's all it is. It's like anti-Russian nationalism. That's all it is. Again, you know, they try not to frame... Like, there's a lot of propaganda and it's, like, always anti-Russian. It's never specifically Putin. It's always... It's the nation of Russia. The, oh, Russia is a... They're an evil force, historically. And it's like, dude, what? Like... What, what the fuck are you saying? Like, anyway. And of course, you know, um, this is not to say that Russia doesn't use cluster munitions because they do. Uh, and they even say like they have a higher dud rate uh, than the U.S. munitions, which is not surprising. But it's still like, you know, it's like, oh, well, Russia does it. And it's like, okay, so then that means you're as good as Russia. Like, if you're going to use the same taxes that Russia uses, then it's like you're no better than them. I don't know. It's, um, again, this war should have ended a long time ago. And it's like how like how many years does this have to go? Like twenty years over this little patch of land, fucking Crimea. Like 
Like that's like we're going to risk a nuclear confrontation over that. I don't know, man. It's crazy. But then, of course, the United States, they can invade whoever they want on like the smallest pretenses halfway around the world. Oh, no, we have to secure our interests. Like that's like literally like the people who defend Ukraine. If Russia, you know, because they're saying, oh, this is Russian imperialism, Russian imperialism. But then when the U.S. does imperialism, they love that. Oh, man, they love that. Even if it's the most bullshit reason, it's just like, oh, we got to, yeah, invading Libya, destroying Libya. Oh, we got to get rid of Gaddafi. And then look what happened. <laughs> and it's just like, and they don't care about that at all. Anyway. So, yeah. So, uh, cluster munitions, aid, financial, you know, military assistance. That's uh, going that way. So, this whole war is just stupid. But, yeah. So, now at least uh, talking about uh, some other events uh, internationally. Uh, so, there was an attack, and this is at least, you know, relating to Israel and Palestine. So, in Israel, or Palestine, because Israel is fake, but Palestine in the West Bank, the uh, city, and I say city loosely because it's really a refugee camp that just developed into a city of Jenin, which had already prior, like, prior had, like, big clashes and raids, but over the last uh, couple weeks, or July 12th at least, not such a, just an article date, but... Uh, yeah, over the last uh, couple weeks, there was an attack. Uh, the Israelis, security occupation forces, they raided the city, invaded the city, and they destroyed it. I mean, it was like they just went in there and just caused havoc. And it's like, you know, nothing happens until the Israelis get involved, and then that's when the shooting starts. <laughs> like, you know, they said like, "Oh, we're just here to dismantle terrorist infrastructure," but they're like literally having bulldozers like destroy the streets. So it's like you're just destroying the infrastructure. That's all you're doing. Like this is a punitive raid against these people, and it's like you know you poke the hornet's nest, and then of course you're gonna you know burn it down because oh I'm getting stung, but like you poked it first. <laughs> I don't know, man. It, it's um, it was you know again Israel they commit such egregious acts of violence against innocent people you know children i mean they they killed children repeatedly even in this raid they killed a couple kids you know they, they gassed them tear gas and such or you know shoot them with snipers uh it, it's unbelievable man it's unbelievable and you can't say a thing about it like even me talking about this is like i'm at risk of like an anti-semitic comment like oh he's making anti-semitic comment it's like bro like what justification do you have for me to justify children being shot? Okay, like children get shot playing soccer, like out in the street, and the sniper will take them out. It's like it's unbelievable. They they killed journalists. Okay, Shireen Abu Akli. They they killed her. Like she had American citizenship, <laughs> and they fucking killed her. And then like there's nothing. There's there's no punity. Even in this raid, like they were literally shooting the cameras of journalists. Okay. So they're trying to cover their evidence. Like, these Israeli soldiers are fucking bullies, okay? They're the worst. They're the worst of the worst. And again, you know, Israel's, like, right-wing factions are, like, genocidal. I mean, like, they're they're Jewish Nazis. Like, I, I don't know how else to say it. They're, they're extremists. They're nationalists. They're fundamentalists, you know. And again, it's like, they try to make it as though they're the one true, like, Jewish scholarly, like, you know, belief. But it's like, that's not the case, like there's a lot of divisions between these uh different like schools these philosophies um and again man it's just like 
I don't know, man. I don't care what religion anybody has. Like, if you are going to use it to justify stealing people's land, killing them, their children, like, I don't care what religion you have. Like, I don't care. Like, again, it's like, oh, thousands of years ago. It's like, okay, so I guess, you know, I, I can't use my own personal analogy, but like, yeah, like in the United States, like, it'd actually be far more justifiable if we gave back all the land to the natives and like forcibly evicted all these white folks off the land, uh, all these colonizers, like that would actually be pretty justifiable. But, oh no, this is white genocide. You're saying white genocide. Oh, but this isn't the Palestinian genocide. Like, <laughs> anyways, just looking here. And this is uh, from Al Jazeera because they're commenting on the Palestinian Authority, which is like a loose, like, they're not an official state of, of Palestine, but they're just the political faction, the main political faction. Of course, there's like Hamas and there's other extremist cells. But it's like, you know, this they this Palestinian Authority was formed in an attempt to offer legitimacy, you know, for, you know, Israel and Palestine to have a two-state solution. But then Israel, which is not a good solution at all. Like, two-state is not a good solution. But even Israel then doesn't want to have a two-state solution. So it's like, what options are you giving the Palestinians? <laughs> In the West Bank, like these settlers are out of control, but like they can literally just walk onto somebody's farm and start like messing around with the, the, the kids, you know, start busting out windows. And then the fucking soldier just stands there. And anytime the Palestinian says, hey, would you stop that? The soldier like pretty much like gets very close to shooting them. Like unbelievable, unbelievable. And it's so readily available. It's so obvious. And again, you make a comment about it. You're an anti-Semite. It's unbelievable. And I'm not even talking about Judaism. I'm not like, you know, I'm not like fucking this Robert Kennedy Jr. Oh, see, COVID, you know, they designed it to protect Jewish people. Like, dude, like, that's anti-Semitism, okay? Like, that is fucking stupid, okay? I don't, I don't say things like that. I talk about the real documented evidence of abuse and apartheid that is in Israel right now. And again, like even the the defenders will say like, no, because Israel needs to be a Jewish majority state. It has to be because reasons. And again, it's like the one like ethno-nationalism. Oh, no, I'm against it, except for Israel, because somehow the Jewish people deserve to commit a genocide and take some land away from the indigenous population. It's unbelievable. And again, so, OK, so Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas uh, has visited, visited the Janine refugee camp a week after a 48-hour Israeli assault and days after some of his senior officials were driven away from a funeral procession by large crowds angry at the PA's response to the attack. Uh, the official PA news agency, Wafa, uh, said Abbas, who arrived by helicopter on Wednesday, made the visit to, quote, to check civilians, uh, conditions and progress in the reconstruction of the camp and the city following the last Israeli aggression, end quote. Uh, franked by presidential guards, the 87-year-old Abbas addressed crowds at the camp in his first visit to Janin since 2012. Uh, the heroic, quote, the heroic Janin camp stood against the aggression, sacrificed its casualties, and offered all it has for the sake of the homeland, Abbas said, promising that the camp would be, would be rebuilt. Members of Fatah, the party that Abbas leads, welcomed the president's visit. Uh, Nidal Na Nai. A Fatah leader in the camp and former fighter who took part in a 2002 battle with Israeli forces there said Abbas's visit was a show of support for the camp. Quote, the historic visit was made to show that all Palestinians are standing by the Janine refugee camp and that there is a unified Palestinian cause or Palestinian stance, Nanai told Al Jazeera. 
but others have not been as positive. Quote, we would, want, we would have wanted him to stand with us at all times, not just in this instance, end quote. Uh, Saida, camp resident, said, quote, when the Israeli army was here, where was he? Why did he leave us to fend for ourselves? Our kids are gone. There are martyrs. There are prisoners in the Israeli jails, end quote. And continuing, uh, quote, tomorrow we will replace the doors and windows we build, but we wanted him to be with us from the beginning. What is the point of this visit, end quote. Uh, another man who did not want to be identified also shared that perspective, quote, the president came, I stayed home because I knew his visit would not make any difference. The man told Al Jazeera, quote, my home was destroyed. Where should me and my family go? Abbas only came for a photo opportunity. Yeah, and then also just more about the raid. So right, so last week, Israeli forces launched the largest attack on the Janine refugee camp since the 2002 battle. Drone fired missiles and hundreds of soldiers pounded the camp for three days killing 12 Palestinians, and killing, including three children. At least 3,000 people fled their homes, while dozens of houses were shelled, and widespread destruction was caused to roads and other infrastructure. Soon after the raid, three top officials, Fatah officials, including Deputy Chairman Mahmoud Alou, visited the camp only to be driven away from a funeral by mourners chanting, Get out, get out. Uh, their anger highlighted the deep unpopularity of the PA, particularly in the Janine refugee camp over the past two years, Israeli forces have launched a series of deadly raids on the camp as well as other areas in northern occupied West Bank, while settler attacks have increased. This has led to increasing criticism of the PA for its lack, for its perceived lack of ability to defend or protect Palestinians. So, and again, like, Shireen Abu Akli was killed in Janine. So, like, this is, like, they, they keep going in here and killing people, and it's like, it's like a grass-cutting operation. That's the whole point. It's to like, just like, oh, they're they're getting some stability. Oh, okay, then it's just, let's go in there, destroy it, and then we'll undermine them and make the situation worse. And of course, this is like an area of the world where like the life expectancy is like, like this is like one of the lowest areas where you have life expectancy, where like if you're born as a child here, like chances are you can be dead before your 20s. Like, it is so bad. Like, it is so bad. Okay? And, of course, you read stories about, like, the, the water situation. Like, Israel deliberately holds out on water. Or, you know, the vaccine. Like, there are other issues, like medicine and such. Like, what is the point of doing this if not genocide? Okay? This is unnecessary cruelty. Because it's a fascist society that needs an other to attack. To justify their militarism and their extremism. They have to. They need them there. Okay, they're not interested in a two-state solution. They don't want a two-state solution. That's the whole point of this Palestinian Authority was so that there could be a demarcation of, okay, Palestine is West Bank and Gaza, and then uh, Israel is Israel. But they don't even want that because, of course, if they had to actually recognize Palestine as a sovereign state, then they couldn't continue doing these raids and these you know, killings and bombings. So it's like it's very obvious that Israel is not acting in good faith. And again, like, like it's funny because, like, with these, like, Oslo agreements, like, literally, like, who, who, you know, the president who signed that, the Israeli president, his name escapes me. Hold on. Let me pull this up. So, 93 Oslo Accords. Let me see here. I think I have the right guy. Hold on, let me see here. Okay. So, this is, yeah, 1993 signed between uh, Yit. Yitzhak, Yitzhak Rabin, who was the Israeli Prime Minister, 
And then there's also Mahmoud Abbas, who is a PLO negotiator. But there's also, uh, let me see who else. I don't know why his name is given yet. Yasser Arafat. Yeah, so that was also an agreement with Yasser Arafat. So this was deeply unpopular because the PLO had always been like a terrorist organization. Like, you know, the PLO did that Munich attack. Like that is a, you know, like they're hated. Let me see as well. So Munich attack, 1972. Munich massacre where the uh, Israeli athletes were killed. Olympic athletes. Let me see who else. I want to see specifically if this was a Palestinian or the PLO. Uh, okay, so it was Black September. So that's a separate military group. Okay, so so not necessarily the PLO because the PLO was involved and they were based out of uh, Lebanon or you know other places. So PLO, Palestinian Liberation Organization. But they have been involved in attacks and wars. And, uh, you know, you would characterize them as, you know, terrorist bombings. Um, but again, you know, it's like the Israelis started this violence. So the Palestinians are fighting for their survival. They have no choice but to take these measures. And again, even with this diplomacy that they were supposedly have having um, in 1993 with this Oslo Accord Agreement, that would pave the way for a two-state solution. The Israel isn't interested in doing that. They're, they're not interested in doing that. And so with Yitzhak Rabin, he uh, was assassinated after making this agreement. Let me see here. Of course, you know, this took place a couple of years afterwards, but still, uh, it was part of it. Yeah. So, I mean, the assassination was in 1995, the Oslo Agreement was 1993, but the assassination motive was in part because he had the audacity, the audacity to engage in diplomatic talks. So, that is the consequence. So, it's not just like, oh, is Netanyahu and his right-wing government. No, this is, this is the consequence and this is the society. The whole society is in on it. The whole, the whole Israeli state is in on the Zionist project. And it's so funny, like, there was... um. I was watching this uh, video from like the Jubilee uh, video where they tried to have like, oh, it's again, you know, it's like one of these like millennial media shows where it's like, oh, let's just get people from different backgrounds and let's have them talk. But it's like done in the most unprofessional manner. <laughs> and so they brought Palestinians and Israelis and they said, oh, let's try to find an agreement in this like 20 minute conversation. <laughs> and it went about as you would expect because immediately the Israelis were like, well, first off, it's not your land. And already, like, like the conversation's done. Like, like the Israelis have this entitlement to this, like, oh, it's an ancient blood right to this land. Like, who fucking cares, dude? Like, you could have happily moved to that area and not just completely colonize it and displace those people. But no. Oh, no. We don't want to live around Muslims and fucking, you know, uh, you know, Arabs. No, we don't want that. We just have to, we have to deliberately like massacre you know the nakba right massacre entire villages displace millions of people like unreal it's crazy and again you know this the, the consequences of that are so far reaching like i was um when i lived in st croix growing up uh there was actually a pretty like big palestinian community i mean at the time i didn't know but you know now looking back on it it's like kind of crazy to think like you know some of the stories and you know the and they were well to do i mean these these people were like business owners so it wasn't like like they, they were doing good. So 
it's like but you know when i talk to one of them about their story and their grandparents and like just like what they had to escape and how like they like for them it's like a survivor's guilt because they're like i'm only here doing well because i just got lucky but i could have very easily been like like because they have cousins they have like dude i couldn't imagine my cousins living in a situation like that i'd be so fucking infuriated oh my god like you're like you imagine like your fucking cousins are living in a fucking war zone and then like if you try to criticize it you're the bad guy unbelievable unbelievable so again the last at least talking about this israeli uh raid on janine um and the damage done there just crazy crazy damage i mean this is like again they're saying the one of the biggest raids from since 2002 and again like israel is going to ramp it up Again, I heard there was like some other raids in like Nineveh, like again, or not, no, Bethlehem, Nineveh somewhere else. Um, like it's so, it's so funny. Again, Bethlehem. Okay, this is the birthplace, no, Nazareth. Yeah, Nazareth, Nazareth Bethlehem. These are all act, occupied areas where Jesus like literally lived. And again, there's like a whole like, <laughs> there's like a whole border wall and like checkpoints and fucking like military security. And this is like literally where Jesus like walked. Like, dude, like, unbelievable. Unbelievable. And again, the only reason why Israel is even, like, allowed to exist like this is because these evangelical Christians and these doomsday cultists, like, they think that, oh, Jesus is going to resurrect and there's going to be the Battle of Megiddo and it's just, like, all this prophecy and bullshit. And it's literally, like, the, the consequences of this are, like, affecting the lives of millions of people and again, this is, you know, I don't want to sound like a Reddit atheist, but it's like, th this is literally why atheists are so hard about religion. Because all this shit that's happening in Israel, in the Holy Land, is because of religion. It's not even, do it's not even resources. Like, dude. <laughs> oh, man. But it just shows how powerful, like, the human mind is. And, like, you know, what people are willing to do for a cause that is, like, a figment of our imagination. Like, crazy. But, I mean, I'm saying it's fake. But for them, it's very real. Like, like I could get killed for saying these sort of things. You know, it's like, it's, dude, like, huh. I mean, not that my life is actually in danger. I'm just saying, like, if I was in the wrong place, <laughs> I could be in trouble. But anyway, and so, um, so continuing uh, here, at least just some other uh, stories, international stories. So touching up on you know, Russia and China and uh, their relations. Again, you know, this Ukraine war has had an effect. And of course, you know, people are talking about whether Ukraine and China or Russia and China, what the relations are going to be. But, you know, the West has had all these sanctions against Russia, which means now that Russia is going to turn to China. Like China is like, we don't have any issues with this. China just wants to do business. So they're like, OK, more for us, you know, and they're they're getting closer. They're getting closer and, um, you know, closer economic ties. Uh, like, <laughs> it's funny because, like, China historically had been, like, the place where we had sent our natural resources. And then their industry is, uh, you know, going to, you know, process that. And then we get the consumer goods. Um, but now that sort of dynamic now is happening with Russia. Russia is now sending their natural resources to China. And then China is churning out. Uh, consumer goods so like dude like i i um 
I don't know. I don't, I'm not going to say that they're, they're allies or they're best friends, but they have common interests. And it's very obvious that they're being pushed together because, like, the West and NATO are, like, encircling them. And, of course, you know, we have Taiwan and the South China Sea issues there. Uh, I mean, like, there this would, this would certainly be an alliance of convenience. You know, it's not an alliance of, like, oh, we generally like each other, but it's, like, we're getting encircled and we have no choice but to work together. And I, I don't understand what the U.S. and Europe and what the end game is. Because, like, first off, like, a protracted war is, like, the stupidest thing ever. And yet they're seemingly, like, getting more active. You know, we have more naval activity in the Pacific. And, like, multiple, like, um, brushes with the Chinese Navy and their Air Force certainly with Taiwan and again like the the US Navy has the audacity to even like float the idea of like a sail by through the strait but like if Russia and China did like a like put their fleet in between like uh the Cuban channel like between Cuba and Miami like that would be like a major like dude these fucking republicans would be like we got to fucking glass them now this is unprecedented unbelievable but we can do whatever we want to them it's like Again, people, they, uh, a lot of Americans are not concerned with being an equal partner, an equal nation among the world stage. Too many Americans are interested in America first and America should dominate. Okay. And it's not even like, oh, America should dominate and then we'll all have prosperous lives. Because it's like, again, they defend the status quo. And it's like, it's the, the people who are heaviest with this defense are also the people who are like working class, who are like, being the most abused by the american system it's so crazy like i talk all the time with my mom i'm like every every problem that we're dealing with is because of america okay and we don't we don't deserve this we don't deserve to be struggling like this and she's again she can't say anything else but no we just gotta work and we gotta pull ourselves up and it's like but it's not gonna happen it's not gonna happen no matter how hard we work we're gonna fall further into poverty like that's just the fact of it you know Again, I try to work where I can, but it's like, I, like, I, dude, like, I'm not the only one who's struggling like this, man. This is like, again, like 60, 80% of working people are paycheck to paycheck. Okay. It's like, you cannot sit here and tell me that this is a normal economy. It's economic cannibalism. Like, it's unbelievable. So, at least talking with Russia and China. Because, again, everybody's like, no, we can't let Russia and China win. And it's like, they're not even interested in world domination. And, again, we project all this fucking bullshit onto Russia and China like they're going to rule the world. It's like, no, dude. Like, you're not going to get colonized by fucking, like, Han Chinese people. And then your children are going to speak Mandarin. Like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> it's unbelievable, man. Again, like, white people project all the horrific bullshit they've done onto other nations because that's the only way they can justify and rationalize their actions. Like, no, of course, yeah. I'd given any opportunity, other nations would genocide and colonize the world. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, reading from Reuters, at least on these uh, joint air and sea drills. And these are like the first time that Russia and China are partnering since this Ukraine invasion. Um, it's just like a sign of like, you know, the cooperation. Like they're obviously getting closer together. But it's only because of this external pressure from the West. So uh, reading here uh, from Reuters. So a Chinese naval flotilla 
a Chinese naval flotilla set off on Sunday to join Russian naval and air forces in the Sea of Japan in an exercise aimed at, quote, safeguarding the security of strategic airways, waterways, uh, according to China's defense ministry. Codename Northern Interaction 2023, the drill marks enhanced military cooperation between China and Russia since Moscow invasion of Ukraine and is taking place as Beijing continues to rebuff U.S. calls to resume military communication. The Chinese flotilla comprised of five warships and four shipborne helicopters, uh, left the eastern port of Qingdao and will, and will rendezvous with Russian forces in a predetermined area, the ministry said on its uh, official WeChat account on Sunday. On Saturday, the ministry said naval, Russian naval and air forces would participate in the drill taking place in the Sea of Japan, and this will be the first time both Russian forces take part in the drill. State newspaper Global Times cited uh, military observers are saying. Uh, Grumki and Sovershini, two Russian warships taking part in the Sea of Japan drill, had earlier this month conducted separate training with the Chinese Navy in Shanghai on formation movements, communication, and sea rescues. Before making port at the financial hub of Shanghai, the same ships had sailed past Taiwan and Japan, prompting both Taipei and Tokyo to monitor the Russian warships. Days before Russia invaded Ukraine in February 2022, President Vladimir Putin and Chinese President Xi Jinping declared a no-limits partnership they said was aimed at countering the influence of the United States. Yeah, so, I mean, they're, they're getting close. They're getting closer, and uh, there's, um, you know, who knows what that bodes for the future. I mean, okay, so I have to re-record because... You know, I thought I had, you know, again, I was checking my recording system and it was showing the feedback, but there's actually a three hour limit. So like I talked for like almost four hours um, and it cut off. So I was talking at least about some naval drills between Russia and China. And uh, now I'm, you know, kind of sidetracked because <laughs> again, you know, I'm kind of tired, but yeah, I, uh, again, that's my mistake. Rookie mistake because like I was already kind of aware of it, but I thought the recording was continuing. So yeah, it's not gonna happen again. So I was talking about the naval drills between Russia and China um, and how they're getting closer together now because of this Ukraine war and the efforts by uh, you know the West and the United States and just the isolation from that. But yeah, so Chinese naval drills in the Sea of Japan, joint naval drills, and just a hypocrisy from that by you know the west and nato because again nato they do all kinds of drills and they always have a ship in the south china sea you know do we have to protect our interests um but yeah so that's at least with china and russia and their uh partnerships that are you know getting closer together and i wanted to touch up on uh, some other international subjects now another uh, disturbance and unrest that occurred was in france um, and so in France, and again, like I'm like, I'm going over again what I already talked about. So it's, yeah, I'm kind of tired, <laughs> but I wanted to just get the recap of the recording. So in France, there are these riots occurring as a result of the killing of a 17-year-old, you know, uh, North African's descent, 17-year-old, uh, due to a traffic stop, and and you know this led to riots, you know, really intense unrest and yeah you know this is a lot to do with us as well because we are 
big on BLM and you know police reform or just police abolition really because uh, again like France is like been going through a lot you know a lot of uh, unrest with like the yellow vest movements uh, these uh, pension reforms and you know the the slashing of benefits without a vote uh, so pretty much um, you know undemocratic reforms happening in France and of course these uh, riots have uh, destabilized the region uh, people because again it wasn't like just riots in France like some of it was spilling into like Belgium and other places so it's like you know there there was like a big worry that like wow what if this spreads across the countries or you know but yeah you know this had a lot to do with um the youth um you know minority youth working class youth uh living in uh you know these uh, suburbs these working class communities so they've always been dealing with police violence and so this just you know exploded because this is like a regular daily occurrence for them so naturally like there's a breaking point like you can't take this forever you know but yeah the the situation in france i mean it's sort of cooled down but at the same time like there was a lot happening and you know they were burning down you know town halls like they were hitting official buildings town halls and police stations um they eluded some armories like you know i was very worried that they were going to send the military in and start like shooting like that was it was getting very close to that so yeah, man. So, I mean, again, because uh, I read an article, and I don't feel like rereading everything, but at least from Politico, what they were uh, talking about was, and again, you, you can look up this opinion piece by uh, Catherine Feishi, and they're just talking about how this is sort of a result, because I mean, in 2005, there were similar riots due to police violence, and how this has taken a new uh, sort of angle, or, you know, there's like there's a different vibe to it and they're saying like these riots are different because this is now more of a nationwide thing instead of like being this one little community or several communities outside of paris this is like a nationwide thing um and it has a lot to do with uh, the youth disaffected youth uh again you're just saying you know kids like as young as 12 13 years old are partaking in this because they're living in impoverished conditions or dealing with daily abuse by the police and this is like there, there's just disenchantment. There, there. I'm hoping I'm saying that word right. Uh, disillusionment. Uh, there's, you know, they're losing focus and faith because, like, well, like they're just surviving day by day, and their situation gets worse, and then they're getting killed by the police. And then, of course, you know, they're not real French. Like, you know, again, you see a lot of people on Twitter getting racist about this because, oh, look what happens when you bring all these like minorities in here. They destroy your country and this and that, but. You know, they have no comments to make about the police violence, which is always uh, the perpetrator, like the instigation. It's always the police violence that starts the riots. The riots never happen. <laughs> like, the, like they don't happen until the police kill somebody and then people riot. Um, and then, of course, the police get more violent against the riots, which increases. Like, it becomes a cycle. It becomes a tit-for-tat thing. Um, and again, you know, more youth, more kids are getting killed by the police. And they're you know yeah it's just a cycle of violence and of course you know i was a uh, commenting in my first recording about the political implications of this and how uh this could affect like the right wing in the country in france you know it can galvanize them i mean my hope at least is that the french left also attempted to you know organize around this and you know 
try to try to mobilize uh, some political action. Um, it, the thing about it, like I read a release, a memo from the from the the French Communist Party about like we condemn violence in all forms. It's like, bro, like y'all opposers, man. Like, come on, this is a direct result in a proletariat struggle, and again it's like no we don't condone this it's like you didn't take advantage of this you didn't activate that uh you know radicalization you know because now of course these youth that are rioting they're just going to be delinquents that's it you didn't actually try to inspire any sort of ideological like you know awakening like hey like this is you know bigger than just like oh justice for Nahel, which is the the uh the kid that got killed Nahel Merzuk. um like this is a larger struggle and you know there are martyrs in this real uh occupation and uh system of violence that continues every day and again the police are gonna you know this is not just for france the u.s as well other european countries are turning more right wing i mean these police are gonna get more violent and more active they're gonna get more funding more weapons and such yeah man they're gonna this government's gonna double down Again, France, you know, they don't mess around. Like they'll they'll revolt and they'll they'll France is like on its sixth republic, you know, it's like, yeah. Or is it the fifth republic? No. It's the fifth republic. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. So that is the current republic here. The fifth republic. But still, you know, um Yeah, man. Uh it's interesting. I mean this new presidential election, I mean, because I'm sure Marine Le Pen will try to run again, and there's a good chance that she could make some gains i think you know marine le pen is so like off-putting that like she probably won't win but again you know we got macron which is like it, he's nothing like he's a nothing burger you know there's like like there's been multiple videos of people slapping the french president my like dude like slapping him or throwing eggs on him <laughs> it's crazy it's like that probably gives you an idea of how people think about you dude um yeah, so that's that. And I do apologize because I did record at length, but my, my throat is like worn out. And I, and I again, I thought that it was recording because it said, you know, there's a feedback on it. And then the final recording cuts off at three hours. So I won't have to remember that next time. Um, so then also, you know, that's like at least the international section. Um, and, uh, you know, other aspects that we should highlight because um, the international section I talk about the geopolitics you know domestic politics are our sort of problems and then the last section being natural where I talk about weather events natural disasters and of course this pandemic which I would classify under natural phenomenon so of course you know I was talking earlier about the Texas power grid and um the energy demands as a result of these record heat you know waves and heat domes um and we're dealing with wet bulb as well so it's like a lot of heat issues and energy concerns um and our infrastructure isn't uh suited for it again it's just like very close to getting like rolling blackouts and such but now also just more at length they're talking about el nino and these effects on weather patterns and the global uh climate um and uh yeah, I mean, again, you know, El Nino, and at least reading from the CNBC uh, article, uh, would certainly have an effect on weather patterns, particularly in the fall and the winter. They're saying that those are like wetter than average, that, you know, these record heat 
levels. I mean, these are the hardest you know months. The, the, like we had, we just had like the hottest week, consecutive week of recorded history. The Death Valley broke a record, 131 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, I mean, it's just crazy what we're dealing with, and like, you know, this is just increasing in like the the levels of heat and the the weather events and disasters, like in Vermont and Montpelier. I'm saying that right, Montpelier, um, Vermont. There was a uh, flash flood there, just a torrential, you know, downpour of rain, uh, flooding from that. That uh, is like basically swamped this entire like middle, like you know, it's like a small town. It was Vermont, but yeah, this is like it's a mountainous, like hilly region. So there's a lot of runoff. So very dangerous flash flooding. And then Canada as well. There's record wildfires. You know, burning acres, millions of acres of land. Uh, this also causing uh, weather, like uh, air quality issues in uh, you know, New York, um, in Chicago, there was also some uh, smoke. So, yeah, there's a lot of disasters just piling up, piling up, and this is just the new normal. Like, again, like, it's just crazy how, like, something like that can happen in New York, where, like, there's smoke. This has never happened before. Like, we haven't had, like, smoke like this since, like, uh, well, it's not smoke, but like, you know, weather pollution issues since like the Dust Bowl, which was itself another man-made ecological disaster. So here, you know, they're talking about NOAA, the, the National Oceanic, uh, what's it called again? National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Yes. Okay. They are saying that in 2022, uh, there were 18 separate billion dollar weather and climate disaster events. So in 2022, 18, you know, you know, disasters and the billions of damages. Um, and so far in 2023, there have been 12 uh, separate billion dollar uh, disasters. So we're not even like, we're like halfway through the year and already at like 12 uh, disasters. And like, we're, we're not even like in the peak of uh, the hurricane season because hurricane season, uh, I, would I would wager we're starting to get that in August and September into October, uh, November, even like it, it's uh, yeah, the, these like summer months, like June, July, uh, so far has been there. There's been some storms, but it's not has been any like a mainland like sort of landfall. So, yeah, that we're still very much in the hurricane season and anything can happen. We're still very much, uh, yeah, in limbo, but yeah, so here, uh, just highlighting some other topics because they go on length about uh, the greenhouse gases and they also talking about your carbon footprint and again you know they always try to make it on individuals so it's like oh well you individually can decrease your uh, emission your emission footprint but it's like no the the, the corporations need to eliminate it because that's like where the majority is like just because like i turn off my lights like, you know, when I try to conserve energy and like at the very least, you know, whenever it's really sunny, I only use sunlight uh, for illumination. But still, even then, you know, like, you know, air conditioning, like it gets hot and muggy here. Like I got to keep that air conditioning on. Sometimes it just blasts all day because like if I just leave it hanging again, even if I like left it at like 80, like it would still like, you know, blast at 80. You know, it's like it's fucking hot, man. Like. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, 
yeah, individual like carbon footprint, like that's um, sort of deferring the responsibility away to the individual, which is not a useful strategy when, you know, all this natural gas and oil is being, uh, you know, sucked out of the earth and then burnt. And then, yeah, I, yeah, it's just, what are you going to do? Anyway, so, I mean, that's just like the weather, El Nino, that's happening, which, you know, a lot of climate scientists are talking about. Um, but certainly there's implications for future months and what can come down the line. Uh, but yeah, so at least uh, we'll uh, touch up on that. So that's CNBC, what they were saying about El Nino and weather events from that. You know, record heat, as they're saying, hottest months ever recorded, hottest week ever recorded. And again, you know, this isn't just like, you know, because this is more like U.S. centric, but like other places in the in the world, especially in the Middle East, like, dude, like the weather, oh my God, like all these temperature readings are insane. It's just like, this is like, how do you expect people to survive this? You know, um, especially in like, you know, Southern Asia, you know, India, like uh, the Indochina region, like, um, you know, those are really humid areas and that wet bulb is going to like make it uninhabitable and they don't have the same like air conditioning infrastructure that we have like bro like this is like people are gonna die and then people gotta leave because like they can't they literally can't live there and then there's gonna be an even worse migrant catastrophe and you know and crisis of people leaving because like their lands are literally on fire and they can't grow anything because it's too hot like all the, all the animals died <laughs> like oh no we can't bring these people in we don't have space for them oh and this is like after we destroyed their countries and then we created this industry that's causing the climate crisis, but then the people who are going to be most affected by this, we're going to villainize and like kill, like that's what's going to happen. Like they're going to have, you know, like Texas, right? Greg Abbott, you know, at the border, they're going to have the fucking military start shooting them. Like that's what's going to happen. Like, so yeah. And again, you know, like I said, this is like a second recording, so I can't speak as much as I had before. But another, you know, sort of natural phenomenon, uh, topic, subject matter is, uh, and, you know, this is um, more to do with, you know, children and development issues, uh, disabilities that are being reported. Most likely, you know, this is due to better screening and diagnoses uh, procedures, but also, and this is not explicitly stated in these reports, the CDC reports, uh, this most likely has to do with um, the effects of uh, COVID and COVID affecting children having very very real possibility of causing uh, developmental disabilities i mean it's been pretty well researched now that there's like early onset dementia risks for adults with um covid or dealing with long covid so i wouldn't put it past it for children who are exposed to these uh sort of diseases to develop cognitive and developmental learning issues especially like really like like babies you know really really young children like they are the most vulnerable for that Again, this is not to say that COVID causes autism, but it's just like, that's just my input. Because, again, like, they're, they're talking about how, like, here, uh, let me see here. So, just reading at least from the survey. So, uh, among kids aged 3 to 17, 8.56, have ever been diagnosed with any developmental disability as of 2021, according to the latest results from the agency's ongoing national health interview survey. So let me see on so many sort of increases here. Okay, so from 2019 to 2021, rates of intellectual disability or autism spectrum 
disorder did not increase by statistical significant amount. The report found 1.65 of children had an intellectual disability, 18.05 had autism. The only category that increased significantly was parents reporting having been told their child had an other developmental delay, a grouping that can include a range of other issues like cerebral palsy or struggling forming words. Uh, the group increased from 5.8, 5.08 of kids in 2019 to 6.06 in 2021. And let me see what else here. They also talk about how uh, children, you know, girls have lower uh, diagnoses than, than boys do. Um, and they also delve into like uh, certain uh, racial, uh, you know, class distinctions. Uh, let me see here as well. Again, I'm basically recapping what I said early, earlier. Okay, so they talk about how, and this is uh, from the report uh, from uh, so from an individual named Durkin. So here it says, uh, "There's been almost a sea, there's been almost a sea change in that in the last decade," said Durkin, who is a primary investigator for the CDC's Autism Disabilities Monitoring Network in Wisconsin. Uh, the group recently found that autism prevalence has been lower in white children across their network of health and school records in several communities compared to black, Hispanic, or Asian. And according to the group recently found that autism prevalence has been lower in white children across their network of health and school records in several communities compared to black, Hispanic, and Asian or Pacific Islander children. Quote, for every time before there was this persistent disparity with higher prevalence in white children and in high socioeconomic status communities, which is unlike any other disability, said Durkin. Durkin said families in poor and disadvantaged communities face a range of risk factors for developmental disabilities like preterm birth and lead poisoning. Quote, it makes sense that there is a higher prevalence and points to things we could do to prevent it. But for a while, I think we are under identifying autism, said Durkin. So they're touching up on uh, exposures for lower income communities, which are primarily um, have minorities, you know, black, Hispanic uh, communities. And they're saying how yeah, black children are more diagnosed with uh, autism and other developmental disabilities than white children, especially those from uh, higher status communities. So there's a whole risk, you know, whole uh, factors that could uh, be the reason for that. I mean, and this is something that I've sort of touched on, at least doing some preliminary research into uh, the subject of generational trauma, that, you know, over generations, when you're exposed to these, you know, when you're exposed to these environments and to these, uh, say, like, especially if you're in a poor community, a lot of pollution and chemicals, you know, they're talking about lead, lead poisoning, it's just the stress and trauma. That could certainly lead to uh, neurodivergent uh you know, cognitive issues for, you know, down the line. Uh, again, you know, trauma, you know, PTSD that has a direct, like, effect on your DNA. And that gets passed on to, down to your children. So imagine if you're, and again, like, black people in this country have lived under consistent trauma and abuse. And that's naturally going to, you know, again, you know, the epigenetics, you know, that subject matter is still very much in, like, in its infancy. So it's not fully understood. But this is just my you know, personal hypothesis that over generations, that sort of uh, trauma and stress on people's, their, you know, their biology and being passed on to their children uh, could certainly lead to 
developmental disabilities and such. And also, and again, this is this is an environmental aspect. So it has nothing to do with their race. Of course, you know, their race puts them in these situations because of white supremacy. But and then also, as they're saying, uh, exposures to chemicals, pollution, lead poisoning. And then also another aspect being COVID. Of course, if you're poor during this pandemic, you're more susceptible to getting infected. So, you know, COVID, you know, and again, you had so many people talking about like, oh, no, we need to take off all the masks at school because we need to, you know, develop immune debt. We need to strengthen the immunity for children. So there were, there were a lot of parents out there, a lot of conservative parents who deliberately had their child get sick so that they could strengthen their immune system. But now that child is like stuck with long COVID, um, like they're already like pretty much dying. <laughs> I, I mean, like, dude, like I don't, again, some people are, th this pandemic really just showed that like we're fucked. Okay. And this was like a pandemic that was, uh, I mean, millions of people died. So it was no joke. Okay. In this country, like, I mean, what's the death toll, COVID death toll? Let me see. I don't even think they're reporting it now because they're it's supposedly over. Let me see. So how many deaths have been reported? So total deaths of 1,134,710. And that's certainly a low ball estimate. Because again, you know, uh, again, that's like you know, you have hospitalizations, so 6,209 and 122. That's the hospitalizations and over 1 million deaths. And it's certainly worse than that. It's certainly worse. And even now, they're, like, starting to, like, not even report it because, oh, oh, COVID's over. COVID's done. You know, yeah, all these children. And, again, this is not, there's nothing definitive. So, I mean, this is probably something that they'll have to research later on, that if COVID caused uh, these developmental issues in children, uh, but at the very least, also you know, and I'm reading from the Department of Labor uh, statistics, the reports of people in the labor market with disabilities, like that, has certainly been on the increase. So it's pretty significant. I'm just reading at this graph here, and this is like, this is like on the Department of Labor blog. Hold on, just let me read something here. So yeah, so just to read some numbers at least, so. Yeah, following the onset of the pandemic restrictions from February 2020 to April 2020, the employment population ratio declined similarly for people with and without disabilities. The employment population ratio for people with disabilities, uh, 16 plus, declined from 19.1 in February 2020 to 17.4 in April 2020, a reduction of 8.9. Uh, for people without disabilities, the decline was from 65.9 to 59.5, a similar reduction of 9.7%. Uh, for the age range of 16 to 14, the declines were similar at 8% for people with disabilities and 7.8% for people without disabilities. The employment ratio for people with disabilities fully recovered in August 2021 at 19.4 and has remained above its pre-pandemic level since. The ratio for people without disabilities has not yet recovered, uh, but has been at or above 6.65% since February 2022. The employment population ratio for all workers aged 25 to 54 is at its pre-pandemic ratio. So, yeah, and then further, 
Although both employment and labor force participation rates improved for disabled workers in 2021, people with disabilities continue to experience significantly lower rates of employment and labor force participation than those without disabilities. So, yeah, they're looking at this change here and the change that occurred for people with disabilities, there's a rate change, percentage change of 15% or nearly 50%, 15, so 1.5%. And then um, the people without disabilities is uh, effectively plateauing. So it's not fully recovered. It's like right below. It, I mean, like it's again, as they're saying, like it's just like right at the recovery level, but not there just yet. So the people with disabilities in the labor market has increased reported disabilities. Because again, a lot of people in the workforce are dealing with stuff that haven't been reported. And then, yeah, and then also just uh, highlighting the gender disparity. So in terms of women and men, women have reported more uh, disabilities than men have. And again, you know, men, we don't report anything with our health unless we're like literally dying. So yeah, that's, um, yeah, these, that's, these numbers are certainly underreported. Uh, but again, you know, that's what people are living through here. But yeah, that is, you know, what's happening. And again, it's so interesting that like, they talk about these stats and then it's like, you know, you had like a million people die uh, from COVID and there's certainly other like co comorbidity issues because like, you know, they have to have it explicitly as COVID, but there's other people who died like due to heart failure, cardiac arrest. I mean, I'm sure if we looked at those numbers, like there's a significant increase, but it's reported as COVID or reported as cardiac arrest and not COVID related deaths, you know? So like, Again, that's just one example, okay? And again, I'm not going to pull up all those numbers here, but again, that's just the, the hypothesis that I'm throwing out there because, of course, they're going to underreport the true number of people who died. But yeah, a lot of people died. And they're talking about the, you know, these uh, labor markets, like, oh, there's a worker shortage. Yeah, I wonder why. I wonder what happened that would cause a worker shortage when a million people died, okay? Like the life expectancy plummeted, okay? That's how many people died. Okay, we've had like the the sharpest decline of uh, life expectancy. Let me see, did it decline further? U.S. life expectancy. <laughs> oh my God, dude, this is so crazy. So 2019, U.S. life expectancy was 78.79, and 2077.28. Um. Let me see, Center of Disease Control, other, other life expectancy reports. So life expectancy in the U.S. dropped for the second year in a row in 2021. So, yeah, man. Again, that's because people were dying. Like, that's just what happened. People were dying from the COVID. Yeah, man. Like, uh, life expectancy elsewhere. Look at China. You know, the supposed origins of the COVID pandemic, yeah, life expectancy uh, in China, again, didn't have a dip. And this is with all the people, you know, talking about, oh, look at the, oh, look what they're doing to the, the people. They're, you know, they got them in camps and such. Life expectancy in China, 78.08. U.S., 77.28. And again, that's like stark decline, sharp decline. Very sharp decline. So... Like, yeah, man, like, that's what's happening, you know? Let me see, actually. 
because that was only for 2020. So for the U.S. in 2023, yeah, U.S. life expectancy, and this is uh, from a Harvard, yeah, Harvard Journal, uh, saying here, U.S. life expectancy has declined to 76.4 years. The shortest has been in nearly two decades. So yeah, man, like life expectancy just plummeted, sharpest decline ever. Like the only times I can remember seeing such a sharp decline in the life expectancy, and this is like. I wanted to do some research into like the great the, the Great Depression and like those mortality figures, but like I was looking at uh, the mortality you know life expectancy in like the early 20th century and like you see at like the end of like 19 like 1918 1919 1920 like it just plummets and it's like it's a combination of World War One and the Spanish flu and it's just like dude like a lot of people died and it just plummeted bro and then. And then also in like the Great Depression, because there's some figures people talk about, oh, the life expectancy increased actually uh, during the Great Depression. But it's like the life expectancy was like somehow manageable during the Great Depression, because at the very least, like there were like soup kitchens and like you know, we had the New Deal. So like, you know, we actually had some measures to keep people fed and alive. But like, let's be real, like a lot of people did starve. I'm not like I... Again, it's so interesting when you see about the Great Depression and those figures. It's like you can never really find it unless you find some like unreliable, like, you know, one report, of course, that says it's like, oh, 3 million to 7 million people died in the Great Depression, which is like not the most reliable source. But it's just interesting to think about like, um, like what is the true figure? Like those who were directly, you know, suffered uh, because of, you know, losing their jobs in the. You know, again, like you, you're going to tell me like living out of those slums, like the Hoovervilles, that like, people were living OK, like people weren't dying because of like typhoid or some other disease. Uh, yeah, man, it's just crazy to think about. And again, this is like when was yeah, penicillin was in the 1920s. OK, but, you know, like medicine was starting to get better. But like, you know, again, like we're talking about like the worst financial like crisis the U.S. has ever experienced and like mass unemployment. Like, you're going to tell me, like, nobody starved to death um, and nobody suffered from diseases. And, like, that's not going to, there's not a direct correlation uh, between that, between, like, anyway, and I kind of got off track. And, again, I just I just re-recorded this, so I'm just, like, I'm kind of out of it. I feel kind of stupid because I should have paid attention. But, yeah, next time, uh, it's not going to happen. Um, but, yeah, man, you know, that's the disability figures. In the labor market, you know, the so-called worker shortage, uh, you know, again, like a million people died and then they don't seem to understand why uh, people aren't applying as before. And even then, you know, people apply all the time. I apply all the time. And still, it's just like we're impressed, but we're moving on with another candidate. It's just like, OK. Uh, anyway, man, what a fucked up world, dude. What a fucked up world. I'm just uh, kind of out of it. Really am. I, I don't know what else to say. Um, and we just have to follow everything that, that unfolds uh, and you know we are watching things evolve and change and so it's important to stay focused on you know what, yeah, what exactly like is happening and what the world is becoming and um, these different factors especially COVID and other diseases yeah I was going to talk about bird flu but now I'm like I'll do that next episode because there were some other updates uh, around the world, so that's for next episode. Now, again, 
Um, I know this is a bit, you know, kind of half-fast, you know, because I, I did talk quite a bit. Uh, but then, of course, I ran out of time and the recording just didn't catch like the last, uh, you know, like 40 minutes that I spoke at, spoke at length. So, you know, I do want to say I appreciate those tuning in. Um, and again, you know, there are ads on this um, you know, episode and future episodes will have ads. So I hope you don't get upset by that. Uh, but again, I have to make the revenue wherever I can. It's so interesting, too, because like it's like I'm trying to pick up this momentum that I lost. And it's like before I would post in other places. I mean, at least I have some followings on like Twitter and such. But, you know, like places like Reddit, like I don't post on Reddit anymore because like you, you get a lot of negativity, of course. Um, I mean, it's whatever social media. But like it's like, you know, I used to post on the collapse subreddit you know, for a couple of years. You could probably still find like my uh, older episodes, like my account's dead. That's like my throwaway you know, podcast account. Um, but yeah, like, uh, yeah, I was posting there for a couple of years and then all of a sudden now, like, and if I post there, well, this isn't collapse related subject matter. And no, this is more political commentary. You know, it's like, it's so hard to like, cause again, you, you will straight up get banned from certain subreddits for like self promoting, which is stupid. Cause how, how else am I going to get an audience if not by self promotion? It's like, I have to post my content. <laughs> Um, yeah, oh, well, I mean, I just don't, I mean, Reddit in general, I don't really use anymore, which is for the better, <laughs> has not been a positive in my life, so, you know, it's probably better not to use that anymore, um, but yeah, the podcast, I mean, you know, I still have a good following, you know, people are consistent listening, and I do appreciate that, I uh, just gotta work on that and other projects, which, you know, I, again, like, I was studying some other subjects, and you know, getting close to finishing that, it's just sometimes, like, I don't know how to say it, like, <sighs> yeah, you know, just, just doing this on your own, you know, because, like, this sort of, like, independent freelance sort of work, uh, you know, I like doing it, I really do, I like doing it, but it's an uphill battle, you know, especially if, like, you know, I gotta be, like, I gotta have, like, a TikTok team or something like that, like, I gotta make it, you know, more hip or more uh, charismatic or I don't even know how to say it. Like I was looking at my demographics and my age groups and like it was um, primarily like the, the biggest chunk of it is like, uh, you know, late 20s, like 30s, even into like the 40s, which is good because I it's nice to have a mature audience base. But again, you know, I want the youth. I want the youths. We got to get the youth involved. <laughs> but um, I'm a, I guess I'm a boomer when it comes to that, like, tiktok and stuff you know because you have to make short term like short videos easily digestible like you know minute two minute videos <laughs> and i just don't have the attention span for that um but yeah you know at least uh just talking at length but you know getting this recording in because i didn't miss that other half and i just kind of skimmed through the subject so you know do apologize on that but regardless uh, i'm gonna you know, wrap up with this like i said do have some patreon that you can support you know other you know platforms you know twitter and such that you can follow me on uh and just making sure that you know i want to be more consistent with this you know certainly going to try to do at least a bi-weekly bi release so that way we can be more consistent although my schedule my school schedule is going to start up soon and i even have some like I don't know, man. Like the financial aid stuff that I got to deal with is so, it's like a headache. I don't know, man. 
I just want to fucking graduate. But anyway, do appreciate y'all listening. And, uh, yeah. And hang in there. You know, hopefully your summer has been going well. So hang in there. You know, keep your head up. And we'll see you in the next one. Thank you.